0: Thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode.
1: You told me you thought I was meant for
0: more than this. Did you mean that?
2: Every word. (laughs)
0: Hello and welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where this week we continue our exploration of Captain America, The First Avenger. My name is Steve Morris. I am a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California.
1: Hello, everyone. My name is John Rook. I'm a writer, producer, host, um, and voiceover guy here in uh, San Diego, California. And excited to be uh, going back in time to the 1940s uh, for the next part of our discussion on Captain America,
0: The First Avenger. It's like for a moment there you didn't know who you were. Like, yeah. Maybe you thought you were like a scrawny little 90-pound guy and didn't realize that you had been given the serum to turn you into the super outlaw. I love you brother, but I've never been scrawny my entire life. So. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Well, we are once again thrilled to welcome back to our microphones, actor, writer, and geek buddy, Shannon McClung. Welcome back to the Cinephiles.
3: Gentlemen, thank you so much. There's nothing like uh, starting your morning off with a cup of iced Joe and and a chat about an underappreciated entry into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Well,
0: Well, I don't think it's underappreciated by any of us. I think we have gone through an unbelievably great first half of a Marvel film agreed and this is my thing about this movie i everything we've done up to this point it, it it might be in my top two or three marvel films wow and the second half of the movie i like it's about to I, level out is what you're saying yeah it, it <laughs> and i and, and what's so funny is having you know re-watched it and gone through my notes and thought about it I, I, I don't have a quite a diagnosis on why I don't love it as much as I love the first half. Mm. I like it, but I, it doesn't pack the emotional wallop that okay. the first half of the film has for me. Challenge accepted. Let's okay. keep going. Challenge
4: accepted.
0: <laughs> you well, both wrong, but we'll go forward. <clears throat> well, let's jump right into it because we go from... This incredibly exciting, thrilling chase where we first see Steve Rogers with his Captain America powers chase down a a Hydra agent, jump into the water, pull him out of a submarine and where he kills himself. And now we cut to back to our bad guys. We're marching through these tunnels. This is all shot in Shepperton in England. Mm-hmm. And And by the way, they do like totally the Star Trek corridor trick, which is there's only one tunnel. <laughs> that's that's all there is. And then they shoot it, you know, one way, they shoot it the other way, they shoot in close shots, so they make it look like there's a maze of you know corridors through this whole factory area, but there really isn't. Um and what is happening is that a bunch of Nazis have shown up and they are pretty critical of Johann Schmidt.
5: Your hydro division has failed to deliver so much as a rifle in over a year. And we had learned through local intelligence, you had mounted a full scale incursion into Norway.
3: This is a lot of fun because you get to see. I mean, they, they did a really great job casting these guys. They have really? that very stereotypical villain, uh, you know, really accentuated cheekbones, kind of a little bit gaunt, that perfectly slicked back hair. The one has a very villainous
0: mustache. Great <laughs> <Yes>. job casting. <laughs> and I love how condescending they are towards Schmidt. Mm. And then the big moment is when they say,
5: The Führer feels, how does he put it? The Red Skull has been indulged long enough. Yeah.
1: So do you think in this moment, do you think this has been a nickname of his, even before he became this thing, like his mm. desire for blood, his des- his like no, no equivocation about killing, they in essence call him the Red Skull because he's almost inhuman and bathed in blood. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there because I thought it was odd to have them call him that as if he's already been known as some supervillain that would have gotten out somehow that the Red Skull exists. You know? I think it's an
3: insult. Yeah. I, I think right? you know this is yeah. this guy who who meddled with things he wasn't quite prepared for and the right. result is this monstrosity that he's become that, you know, a lot of people probably haven't seen, but as you said, John, this probably the news of this spread across the army about one, he'd fallen out of favor, right. but also in doing so, he's become this monster essentially.
0: I I think uh, a, it's, I definitely think it's an insult and B I, my gut has always been that they know that he has this, that he turned into this thing okay like that that's always been my gut but but i what i don't think they know is i don't think they necessarily know that he's super strong and i think they all think of him as a joke you know right one of those crazy because remember he's a scientist
1: right first so naturally soldiers always look down well not always but like <laughs> most of the time and we see them they look down on scientists so why would they have respect for him considering he's been in a lab the whole time right
0: well Andy's a scientist who's chasing after like gods and weird stuff and injected himself yeah Yeah. and i love i i love hugo weaving's just slow turn and you're like oh boy they're in for it they're in for it and then he's very polite
2: gentlemen you have come to see the results of our work Hmm? let me show you
0: we head into the lab and there's several things going on at once. The first thing is is Schmidt sort of insulting Hitler yeah. and talking about how his failures. And one of the other things going on is that one of these Nazis goes up and is examining this map. And the third thing that's going on is that Schmidt is pulling off the covers on some weapons and doing some stuff that he's going to do some
2: demonstration. Hydra is assembling an arsenal to destroy my enemies in one stroke, wherever they are, regardless of how many forces they possess, all in a matter of hours. And of course, these guys who are visiting pick up on
3: your enemies. I know, it's a very Colonel Clink-like take. Your enemies?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Orgun. I I would love that if it said that in the script. A Colonel Clink take.
2: (laughs) Thank you, Schmidt. For what? For making it clear how obviously mad you are.
0: And at this moment, the guy that has been examining the map realizes that... Berlin is on this map! That surprised me. I didn't catch that the first
1: couple of times I saw the well, – first, few, I guess the first few times I saw the movie, it didn't quite capture that he was going to turn his anger towards Hitler and towards the Nazis. So it makes you – question: this guy no longer belongs to a party, right? This guy is all about, as we said from the opening shot of him, there in the rubble, standing atop the rubble. He wants to stand atop of the rubble of the entire world for himself. Yeah. Uh, and so the fact that he's going to go back and even kill Hitler and all the Nazis, it's kind of an interesting way to reassess Red Skull, right? To him, everyone is a nail. And he's a hammer. So, great way to put that. <laughs> yes,
0: absolutely. I think he sees. that just a means to it. an end. I think. Yeah, exactly. Kill Hydra too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great point. Is that he? He doesn't care. He he believes that he is destined to take over the world. That's yeah. crazy. Super villains, and they're all. I love that all these guys who just showed up are now threatening the Red Skull in his lab while he's about to demonstrate his weapons.
1: Can, can I say one thing real quick? The shots to Toby Jones as this is Zola's face as it's all happening is so perfect because he's giving us a guide map as an audience of what to feel in these moments because he's his growing terror about what's going to happen here is so great because he's just like, I am I going to survive in this situation? So <laughs> well, I think also
3: the 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 acting of Hugo Weaving here, the, the this great moment as the machine is warming up and he's sort of putting in the uh, calculations to take these dudes out. Like he's got this silent, like one, two, three. Like he, he counts them, like spots them, you know, where they are in the room. And then as the cannon starts, you know, just wasting these dudes, like he misses one and you see this great shot of like, ah, damn, I missed. I mean, it's the, it's the expression that I feel like a lot of golf courses
0: see <laughs> it's so funny i'm, I'm just thinking that uh, i think the red skull and zola m- might be my favorite supervillain henchman oh of yeah. the mcu that's absolutely renfield and dracula absolutely please <laughs> totally and i think toby jones is so good mm. all his reaction shots every he, he you're totally right he he does all this amazing stuff
3: yeah he's just trying to make it to tomorrow <laughs>
1: I think it's how Shannon looks when me and Vogel go at it about something. He's just kind of watching. He's gonna survive.
0: <laughs> I'm trying to figure out which one of you is the supervillain. And it's a, it's, I think it's it depends a- on the subject.
1: I think. It- <laughs>
0: <laughs> Needless to say, Schmidt wipes all these guys out. And then <laughs> what I love is then after we do this, we get a hail Hydra from the guards. And then there is a look over at Zola. Where's your hail Hydra? apparently they did 14 different takes with toby jones because they they weren't sure which one was the right one they was like let's do an enthusiastic one let's do a really scared one let's do an angry one let's do a frustrated one let's do a confused one and they and then they just picked the one which i would describe as faux enthusiastic slash nervous that's how i would describe (laughs) the one that they actually pick
3: hail hydra If I'm given that direction in the the room Faux enthusiasm (laughs) Slash slash nervous I know exactly what to do I will just channel Toby Jones (laughs) From Captain America
0: And we cut from there to Steve Rogers Giving blood And uh, the needle does not go through his arm now Because his arms have gotten quite a bit bigger
2: Any hope of reproducing the program Is locked in your genetic code But without Dr. Erskine It would take years
0: He deserved more than this.
4: If it could work only once, he'd be proud
0: it was you. Now we're back with Colonel Phillips and the senator, and they're arguing about what has happened, and Howard Stark is looking at the sub, and he says...
5: Speaking modestly, I'm the best mechanical engineer in this country, but I don't know what's inside this thing or how it works.
3: Did you guys know that the Germans actually did have, like, little mini-subs in World War II?
0: I did
5: not.
3: Yeah, I mean, it, obviously it's nothing like what what we're seeing in this film, uh, but they did have little one. I think it was one person subs. There was a, there was oh. a name for it that is escaping me right now. But af, after the uh, last time we recorded, I was like, I, I'm like, I think I I think I remember seeing this on the History Channel, and sure enough, yeah, that's actually that's that's true.
1: People today can't really grasp how close they came to really winning. Like people just really just don't get it because we did eventually win. If that idiot doesn't go into Russia, if he doesn't exceed his grasp, there's a very real possibility that he could have taken over entirely and we would have just created relations with him in order to survive within the geopolitical structure. Like people don't even know how close they came because as nutty as he was, he was forcing and pushing people to create all this stuff so that they could because he had inspired so many to be just insanely dialed into their evil.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's a great point i think there to me there's like three things one is don't go into russia yeah (laughs) this is like napoleon messed it up don't do that yeah if the japanese don't bomb pearl harbor we come into the war much later if ever we didn't want to go in the war people forget we we did not want to go in that war yeah and if they you know they, they have the v1 rockets and they were working on atomic bombs right they get another year to develop an atomic bombs paired with v1 rockets yeah, yeah, that's that we're, that's deep shit, sir. If you're going after Schmidt, I want in.
2: You're an experiment. You're going to Alamogordo. The serum worked. I asked for an army, and all I got was you. You were not enough. This is the beginning of where I don't
0: understand Colonel Phillips. Okay, the the like I totally get the hard ass drill sergeant, be, you know, being tough and abusive and difficult and that's what you got to do to turn these guys into soldiers i totally get that Mm -hmm. but he saw steve rogers throw himself on a grenade he saw him chase down a nazi through the streets of new york dive in take out a submarine and pull this guy out and now he's still being dismissive of him and that's what i don't understand
1: i was gonna say that's what drives steve a great leader knows how to man manage which is and the greatest coaches in sports always know how to manage their players individually and as a group, right? So for Steve, uh, he is motivated by people not believing in him and people discounting him. So just because he's got muscles now and these skills, he doesn't all of a sudden mentally become someone else, right? Like a a former fat person who loses weight is still in their mind a fat person, right? That takes a long mental journey to kind of climb out of that. And this is way too soon for Steve to not still be motivated by this, so I think what he's doing is defaulting to these things that have motivated Steve from the beginning, and so he has to keep him motivated because he does know Steve's not enough, and he's speaking the truth at this point, but he knows this is the, also, the other, the, uh, also the other way to motivate him. So he's killing two birds with one stone in essence, the, giving Steve the lay of the land, but also keeping him dialed in and motivated. So that later, when he does kind of break out and make a, like he's doing it against the colonel's orders to prove something to him, and maybe in some deceptive way, this is what he wanted him to do all along. And so you think all- Phillips is doing this on purpose? Possibly. I, I don't put it past. I mean, I don't think Phillips got to that position by accident. Man, the guy knows what he's doing.
3: And see, I don't think it. I don't think it's uh, uh, Phillips's intention. I think also Phillips is not the you know supreme commander of the armed forces that if someone above him says this guy's going to Almagordo to be a lab experiment um he can't really there's not much he can do to push back against an order from a superior right um but also i mean i think he does see the the realistic nature of the situation in that yes it worked on you you are one person you are not an army would make a difference. One one man is not going to move the needle. And again, that's that's part of the you know character journey of Steve Rogers that we that we find out that it is that one man can make a difference.
1: Yeah. And also, one more thing. I mean, like we've never seen a super soldier in action. So neither uh, Phillips has never seen that, so he has no idea what he has. He has no idea what this guy can do. So he defaults to this belief that one guy isn't
0: enough, as Shannon just said. Yeah. So I think the idea that Phillips is uh, intentionally you know Mm -hmm. training steve essentially or that or that phillips is oh you know that there's higher powers involved those totally make sense i don't see any of the either of those in the movie like that i don't i don't see any indication that that's what's going on what i see is phillips being dismissive of steve and i see that not just now but i see it multiple times Mm -hmm. going forward Mm -hmm. you know and that's where it just doesn't it just doesn't track right for me You know, and it goes back to, like, this is part of why I would wish that Steve was – didn't do quite as well in that first Captain America sequence where he maybe he was trying to figure out his powers and wasn't quite used to them because that would make it make more sense to me why Phillips was dismissive in this moment.
1: But, you know, script-wise, why would you want – the person you need an antagonist, even on the good side, you need absolutely. That's what I think the purpose that he serves. So to me, it works story wise because everyone else is on Steve's side. You got to have one person who's on Steve's side of the ledger, who doesn't a hundred percent believe he can do it. So Steve can keep trying to prove it. And we, as the audience keep seeing him as the underdog and uh, wanting
0: him to break out from this control you know i i yeah. totally agree that we yeah. should have that we need an antagonist i don't think it feels consistent within his character you know like that that that's the you know when you're when and you're wr- his
1: character is what you're saying
0: yeah when you're writing it's like okay i need an antagonist and and part of it is is that once once he switches he, he, he they want us to go like oh this is a great guy part of the team you know he's all aw- phillips is awesome and i feel you know and that that's the thing is it doesn't feel consistent for me for his character okay senator brandt he's got a great plan for steve rogers he's already in the newspaper recruiting has gone up cousin we got an american hero Do you want to serve your
1: country on the most important battlefield of the war sir
2: that's all i want and congratulations congratulations you just got promoted.
0: Cut to? <laughs> he's in really like the original Captain America uniform. I don't know if I can do this.
5: Nothing to it. Sell a few bonds, bonds buy bullets, bullets kill Nazis. Bing, bang, boom.
0: And we hear this song start up, and he's Captain America walks out into this big, huge musical number, which, by the way, was written by Alan Menken. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. You know, I want to say the 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 brilliance of this
3: sequence is as you're watching a movie for the first time, like you, you get the sense that as they end that scene, like, you know, son, you just got promoted, like, all right, here we go. And because you're kind of taking everything in, you might not necessarily realize what that music is in the background and the fact that Steve Rogers is looking nervous. This is a Steve Rogers we've seen before And the moment that he puts on that hood and they push him out into this. Busby Berkeley like like dance sequence um it's so brilliant and also now I don't I can't remember totally but I'm pretty sure not a frame of this sequence is in the marketing in the trailers oh wow so when this big musical number starts it's so for the audience it's so jarring but it's so entertaining and very very funny especially when he starts knocking out
0: hitler <laughs> the, the, the hitler sneaking up through the crowd <laughs> and the little kids going look he's behind you yeah, look, look out he's great yeah i, I <laughs> I, I also love they do a great job of in the very first one. He is nervous, he's reading off of his shield.
1: Not all of us can storm a beach or drive a tank, but there's still a way all of us can fight. Who else can fight, fight
4: the man for what's right
0: Which, by the way, the shield is like that sort of that classic shield shape, and that is the shape of Cap Shield in the very first Captain America comic book. Oh, wow. And the reason that it got changed is that. There was a character called the shield in Archie comics, and they uh, threatened to sue timely comics because of copying the shield. And they go, well, I guess we'll just switch it to a round shield. <laughs> it ended up being this brilliant thing, because then we got all this cool stuff out of the shield that we wouldn't have gotten if they had kept the other shield. It's yeah, can
3: you imagine the, the history of Captain America in comics, if he didn't have that round shield, if they had kept yeah. the more
0: kind of triangular version the whole time? Dodecahedron. <laughs> <laughs> and he does definitely get better at this job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to the point where he's even like they they make movies with Captain America and he's watching himself in his movies and he's smiling and he's enjoying it and I think at this moment he kind of feels good about what he's doing. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. He he definitely he he feels like he's in he's in service not necessarily the way he thought he was going to be, but he is a, a, you know, especially from the senator uh, uh, he he feels like he is helping the cause. He is doing his part. He's not just throwing scrap into a wagon, uh, like little Timmy, which he saw in that film at the beginning. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also like throughout, even as he's getting more and more popular, and he's getting more confident, you can see, even though this is a montage sequence, that he never loses that Steve Rogers-ness Like when he's in the theater without the uniform, like when he's in just his regular kind of khaki uniform you see like he's he's smiling like he, he's he's a little not embarrassed but he but he's he's enjoying it but he's not he's not cocky about it and when that first woman mm. comes up and gets his autograph like you just see the shock on his face I mean it's not a guy who is like oh I can look at all this stuff I can do now let me take the ball and run like this yeah. is still very much the 90 pound guy that we meet at the beginning
0: and then he's still doing the show and he is on a stage, and he says, How many of you
1: are ready to help me sock old Adolf on the job?
0: And there's dead silence. <laughs> and we cut to, oh, he's not in front of a bunch of kids in America anymore. He's in front of a bunch of soldiers in Europe. Yeah. And they are not fans.
1: I love this scene. It's such a brilliant scene to throw in there. Because it's true, right? I mean, like, it's cool that you're playing for the kids. But this is, like, people are really dying. People are really out here um sacrificing their lives and here you are playing this character to motivate people and quite a lot of people had issues with some of the uso shows and some of the other because they thought it was just kind of a way to appease these soldiers from the terrible treatment they were getting overseas um and it was a bit of an insult so this is a kind of a subversive um kind of brilliantly subversive moment to have in this movie Were you seeing these soldiers who were like, dude, we've been, you know, out in the middle of the, you know, in this war, suffering away from our families, and you're going to come out here in a safe situation, hang out with the ladies and do the things that you're doing, and we're supposed to respect you? You know, it was like, there's there's this pushback, and I I thought it was kind of brilliant to throw this in here, and it added even more to this idea that, like, hey, he was serving his country, but there was something more he was destined for, and it took this moment to really kind of drive it home to him, because – he wants the respect of his fellow soldiers and peers. You know.
3: Well, and it's as he is getting heckled by, by the crowd. Yeah. Like you hear, you hear in his voice when he says, "Come on, guys, we're all on the same team here." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he knows that on a base level, that's true. But these guys are doing something he 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 cannot. He is not doing because he's not allowed to yet. And you yeah. you get a sense of that kind of that shame that yep. he, he knows he should be doing more and the fact that wherever i mean i think they're in italy it says um but uh the fact that they're so well supplied that they start throwing tomatoes at him yeah i yeah. think maybe don't throw you don't throw your food uh-huh. don't weaponize your food you're gonna need that later
0: <laughs> by the way have you ever showed up at a show with a tomato or some lettuce some, oh some my gosh. fruit?
3: That's my favorite line <laughs> in Batman Returns with Danny DeVito. How come there's always someone that brings eggs and tomatoes to his feet?
5: <laughs>
0: uh, it seems like a weird plan. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, by the way, I think I, I, I'd I be thinking about like, well, how would I, because I don't love the second half as much as I love the first. How would I change it? One change I think I would make yeah. is that I would have, you know, we're going to meet the people who are essentially the howling commandos later on. Mm. I'd have them in this audience, and have them be the people that are actually jeering at Cap, and then they march off on the mission, which is the mission where they get captured. That way, that way, when Cap shows up later, they can have a negative reaction to him at first, and there's more that they that he has to win over with them.
3: Hmm. Uh, you know, I think that's that's actually an interesting idea, Steve. Yeah. Um, I, I think this moment really kind of solidifies the bond between he and Peggy, um, hmm. but that. But that's a, really, that's a really good idea because, I mean, we'll get to it when we get to that scene. But yeah, yeah. that's a good idea.
1: Because we, we don't get the Howling Commandos that long in the movie. So it's another scene to put them in, which I think exactly. would have been great. Because I think that's one of the biggest crimes of the movie, if I have any criticism, is that you do we don't get the Howling Commandos for anywhere near as long as we should have. And we should have gotten a series with these guys. Uh, totally. I wish Disney Plus was doing series back then, because I think we would have gotten a Howling Commando series, which would have been awesome.
0: Uh, I would love it. I would love it. It's later, and he is drawing a monkey on a unicycle. <laughs>
4: that was quite a performance.
0: Yeah. Uh, I had to improvise a little bit. Crowds I'm used to are usually more uh, 12. <laughs> <laughs> he says, at least he's got me doing this. Phillips would have sent me to a lab.
3: And these are your only two options a lab rat or a dancing monkey. You were meant for more than this, you know. All fair arguments. This is not necessarily, John, and you'll be able to speak to this better than I could. Yeah. This is not Steve's choice. When you yeah. are in the military, yeah. you don't have a whole lot of agency. You have to go where your
1: superiors tell you. Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, because Peggy is the original real, like, I guess I would say, to be honest, this is she's kind of the original Avenger in a way, because she also breaks the rules when she thinks she has to break the rules. She uses her own powers, so to speak, uh, human powers, to be able to do that in a way she's encouraging Steve to kind of break the rules a little bit here um, while she's sympathizing with it, but he had, yeah, Shannon's right. You, you got to follow the rules or else you can get court-martialed and listen, he didn't go through basic training he didn't go through the standard soldier route he was put into a special program he was given a serum within what two weeks and then boom he becomes captain america so the other guys have been through the training and through the hell and been in the you know been camped out in in these various cities in europe uh, fighting the nazis and the italians and and, and not the japanese i guess but that'd be the pacific but yeah so he, they've endured that shit he hasn't so in a way you know, this is uh, Peggy kind of asking a little bit too much of him. or trying to inspire a little
0: bit too much of him. But she also sees the possibilities here. And so she's trying to unlock them. By the way, it really was raining on the day they shot this. And it actually w- was storming so much that they had, to, they had to shut down the chute because of lightning strikes. Oh, wow. Oh. And then we see wounded coming in. Yeah, man. And we hear that 200 men went up against one of Schmidt's forces and only 50 returned. <sighs> and that this was the 107th we go to see Colonel Phillips because he wants to know what happened to Bucky Barnes.
2: Well, if it isn't the star spangled man with a plan, what is your plan today? I need the casualty list from Mazano. You don't get to give me orders, son.
3: This is where I really love Tommy Lee Jones's performance I mean I think this is this is probably not a lot of effort for Tommy Lee Jones yeah. <laughs> the role that, that he has done many many times in his sleep but that shot to that shot to Peggy like you and I are gonna have a conversation you're not gonna enjoy and when he starts to spell uh, uh, Barnes he's I can spell <laughs> like he's so he's so I mean for me so wonderful in this part
1: yeah, and, and look, he's a disciple of Patton, so he's going to be this cantankerous, angry, mm-hmm. frustrated guy. You know what I'm saying, and talking down to the soldiers at times. And so, yeah, but you know, he's like a pseudo father figure for for Cap in a way. That he has to prove it to his dad that he can do it, and his dad doesn't believe in him. His dad should be on his side, but you know, we the entertainment is littered with father son issues, and certainly Marvel is very littered oh yeah Marvel son issues. So <laughs> father son issues. So this feels like that too
0: it's funny so so cap's father was killed in the war yeah his mother died in a tv ward his pseudo father was assassinated at the moment he became captain america and now we've got his third father figure yeah (laughs) being kind of a jerk to him sometimes that Uh, third stepfather it's a tough situation
2: are you planning a rescue mission yeah it's called winning the war but if you know where they are why not at least 30 miles behind the lines through some of the most heavily fortified territory in Europe, we'd lose more men than we'd say, but I don't expect you to understand that because you're a chorus girl.
0: Oof. Ooh. Um, Well, again, this is where I don't get Phillips. Like I don't, I, I, his character doesn't, but what I love, I love what you said, Shannon, is that this is, this is not that tough of Tommy for Tommy Lee Jones. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny to think of like these actors who are really amazing actors who could come in and like,
2: yeah, I could do that. I could,
0: I could do that role in my sleep.
2: I think I understand just fine. Well, then understand it somewhere else. If I read the posters correctly, you've got some place to be in 30 minutes.
0: Uh, it was funny. the, the thing that I, I I wrote down here as I was looking at Chris Evans is the thing that he has to do that people would think is really easy but is actually really hard is be honest. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, and making honest interesting. Is is a challenge. Making noble interesting is a challenge because, as performers, you know you want the characters, you know, with the darkness because that's that's what you get to play. That's where you get to show off a little bit. But the fact that he does get to play things so straight arrow, and he's still so magnetic on screen, like that's that's the that's a trait of a a very talented performer.
1: Yeah, and I also think it's brilliant that they surround him with the darkness, so he doesn't have to provide it. Mm. He's the anti antithesis to the darkness. So it makes him stand out even more. So his earnestness and authenticity in the sense, which I think you make a great point of pointing out, Steve, is what separates him, and that's what makes us cheer for him from the beginning. Because everyone else is gray or dark, he isn't. You know,
0: it's funny, John. You you brought up at the beginning that this idea that this disproves the Superman. We can't do Superman myth. Yeah, and this is the key to it: is that being a good guy is not easy, even if you have superpowers. As the boys will show you, if you ever watch that series on Amazon Prime, I just, by the way, I just started watching season three last oh. night. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff there. These first ten minutes, I'm not ruining it. <laughs> These first ten minutes. Oh my! It is as not Captain America as you
1: can possibly believe. Yeah, and someone commented today because we dropped our first part today as we're recording this, the second part. But um, that how perfect our timing was, which we didn't plan on this. That because Soldier Boy is coming in this season, which is essentially their version of Captain America. So it's kind of ironic
0: that we're talking about Captain America as season three opens from the boys. We are in this tent and Cap is getting ready for something. Uh, You'll notice that it's very foggy out. And the reason it's foggy out is because we're in the Hollywood Hills. Because this is a pickup shoot.
5: <laughs> what do you plan to do? Walk to Austria?
0: If that's what it takes.
5: You heard the colonel. Your friend is most likely dead.
0: You don't know
1: that.
5: Even so, he's devising a strategy. If he detects By the sentence, time he's
1: done that, it could be too late. Steve. You told me you thought I was meant for more than this. Did you mean that?
4: Every word.
0: Good to have a Peggy in your corner, man.
3: Haley oh. yeah. Atwell. Just mm-hmm. dinging him in the parking lot.
0: I love, by the way, that we cut to one of the chorus girls going, where's my helmet? (laughs) And now we're in a plane because Peggy does believe in him. And not only does she believe him, she gets Howard Stark to help us out. And we're flying him in to Austria, wherever they have to go. Agent
3: Carter, if we're not in too much of a hurry, I thought we could stop off in Lucerne for a late night fondue.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Always macking that, Stark. Always macking. Which, by the way, fondue is delightful. And I can remember, I believe it was a Shannon McClung birthday party at a fondue restaurant. Oh. (laughs)
3: That's right. Yes. At the melting pot in Pasadena. Yep. (laughs) Cheese
0: and bread. It's it's delightful. It's cheese and bread. (laughs) Cheese (laughs) and bread. But Steve Rogers doesn't really know what fondue is. And he is immediately jealous and insecure. And then immediately they're under fire.
1: He jumps out of the plane
0: has steve rogers ever jumped out of a plane before i'm gonna say I no mean,
3: it's it's possible it's possible in that in that two weeks of training they could have done something like this but it's no. um you know i think that i think it lends more to the
0: heroism of steve rogers he's never done it yeah uh, my guess is this is his first time and then we cut to this kind of high-tech jail and we see this guy with a hat getting pushed into a jail cell you know, Fritz, one of these days, I'm going to have a stick of my own. And I remember watching this the first time and going, ah, ah Howling Commandos. Because <laughs> that, like, bowler hat or whatever, it's just yeah. so recognizable. Dum Dum Dugan. And Dum Dum Dugan was played by Neil McDonough. I mean, the, so the Howling Commandos are like this, you know, war comic book. And it was Nick Fury and the Howling Commandos. Yes, yes. You know, before there's Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., um, and... And I agree with you, John. I I really wish there was more of them in this movie and that we could have done more of them.
1: Yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah I mean, Neil McDonough is the only one who gets a little bit, a, a yes. little bit of elbow room to play, partly because he's the most distinct looking with the bowler hat and the, the enormous mustache. Um, but all of those guys do such a good job. Um, yeah. Like uh, Kenneth Choi, Derek Luke. I mean, they all do a really, really good job. And if you catch them... I think they made an appearance on Agents of Shield or Agent Carter. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you, it's it's interesting because at the time it was still in that nebulous area. Is is Agents of Shield part of the MCU? And it's like you watch them in First Avenger and then you watch them on Agents of Shield. was like, yeah, there is a very clear distinction <laughs> between these two mediums.
1: Yeah, they were on Agent Carter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, which I never watched. First season's great. First season's great. Second season it's kinda like there you the, I think they realized they weren't long for staying yeah. on the air. And you could tell as you were watching it. There wasn't as much support or budget, I think.
3: Yeah, and the the first season it like not a whole lot of people watched it. Yeah, I think sadly. more people have seen it now that's been on Disney Plus. Um but that first season, I mean Hayley Atwell we already knew that Haley Atwell's an you know, incredible performer. Um but then Shea Wiggum as well plays oh, yeah. like her boss and he is outstanding
0: cap is kind of running through the trees he gets to this you know big factory installation where the bad guys are uh truck goes by jumps into the truck i really like that we only see the fight through the canvas of the truck and he you know he heads in through the gate and we are now inside and we're back to where these you know all these prisoners are being held and that you know the the cell is below and they can look up through the bars above them and there they see cap coming through and knocking people out
2: Who you supposed to be? Um, Captain America.
3: <laughs> and the English guy. Pardon.
0: <laughs> By the way, we should say I really love the evolution of his costume. Mm-hmm.
3: Yes,
0: mm-hmm. yes. The behind
3: the scenes. I think they. I have. I think they have some of it on Disney Plus. But on the Blu Ray, they they have a, a section devoted to. Um, to the costume, because it was kind of like, okay, you know, for the MCU, we, we translate things, um, you know, we have to make tweaks and like, you know, looking at his costume, his comics accurate costume with the wings on the side and the red pirate boots, like, eh, it, it just doesn't really work. Um, <laughs> but but the way that they were able to still use that for his USO outfit. And you see the slow build to what he ends up being in. I mean, it's it's
0: awesome. Totally. It's a, it's, it's a really good progressive design to make it more practical as we go along. Um, and so he's getting these guys, these prisoners out. And there's we see this one guy who is Japanese. And we hear...
5: What are we taking, everybody? I'm from Fresno, Ace.
0: <laughs> and this is one of the Howling Commandos. This is Jim Morita. It's played by Kenneth Choi, who apparently huge comic book fan. Mm. So he was having a ball with them. I
3: got to work with him on 911. Like we Balls. were not we were in in sort of parallel scenes. Um we were in the same van. Uh what a nice guy. Like what a really really nice guy. And the fact that he gets to come back later as marita's grandson right as the principal in spider-man homecoming
1: that's right
3: just awesome and in his office he has a a black and white photo of essentially himself but of of his grandfather in his uh (laughs) right right i did
0: now i have to watch that again because i didn't know that
1: yeah i didn't know that when he gets in the van did you say What, are we taking everybody? Did you say that?
0: (laughs) Oh, if if only I'd had the guts.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Looking for Sergeant James Barnes. There's an isolation world on the factory, but no one's ever come back from it. The tree line is northwest, 80 yards past the gate. Get out fast and give him hell. I'll meet you guys in the clearing with anybody else I find. Wait, you know what you're doing?
5: Yeah. I've knocked that Adolf Hitler over 200 times.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And so now we get two things going on at once. One is we get all of these prisoners in a jailbreak where they're going to, you know, bust through these guards, grab the fancy high tech hydro weapons and get their way out. While simultaneously we have cap going to find Bucky. Hmm. One of the things that's also happening is that Schmidt and Zola are watching this happen on their like closed circuit TVs. And I suddenly went, man, I know that we, I think we've, it's been stated that Suri is the most brilliant person in the Marvel universe. Zola has got to be right up there. Azoli. yeah
3: because he was he was in the 40s i mean it's he, in the 40s i mean he was he was dealing with a lot less uh he, he had a lot less uh resources to do the <laughs> things that he did he had the he had the tesseract but everything else i mean the tesseract was just the uh the powering mechanism all the other designs th- those came from him
0: yeah and he wasn't sitting on the largest you know stock of vibranium anywhere in the world and he didn't have a giant fortune like and was the child of howard stark like
3: yeah, his he- people make clocks are
0: soon to be howling commandos they jump into a tank an african-american guy can translate the controls
1: i didn't know you spoke german
0: three semesters at Howard, switch to french girls much clearer. and that character is gabe jones played by Derek luke gabe jones is one of the first african-american characters ever in comics mm. does
3: he predate sam wilson
0: uh i believe so wow i believe so To the point where, when it went to the printing, they recolored his character because they thought the dark skin was a mistake. (laughs) Yikes.
4: Wow. Yeah.
0: Um, It's pretty early. And then Steve finds Bucky, who is lying down, obviously being experimented on. What is happening to Bucky at this moment? Uh, I mean, they're
3: giving him I believe they're giving him something that leads to his Winter Soldier transformation down the line, Um, because we see I believe it's in Winter Soldier. Like we see a flashback of Zola. You see the POV of Bucky and you hear Zola calling him uh, Lieutenant Barnes and something like basically explaining what they're very broadly what they've done to him
0: so this is some it's not the version of the super soldier serum that the red skull got and it's not the version of the super soldier serum that steve got it's some some other version that sola has worked on
1: yeah yeah some bastardized version did you have did
0: you know any of that any of this was happening when you first saw this movie
3: I mean, I knew of the existence of the Winter Soldier, but I did not assume, like, even though, like, I think we see Zola run out of the room as Steve goes in, I I did not get the sense at the time that they were doing experiments on him. I thought, like, he was being interrogated.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I defaulted to experiments, but I didn't default to Super Soldier because, I mean, you know, you, you hear all the stories of the Nazis and the experiments that they did on people who were in captivity and the Jewish people as well. And so it's
0: just like, to me, that's where my mind went. But not specifically Super Soldier or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. I know. I had no idea. I didn't know anything about the Winter Soldier. I didn't know yeah. it, it to to the point where when we got to Captain America and the Winter Soldier, it took me a while to understand that they were saying that this. had, You know what I mean? Like to mm-hmm. crack what had happened. Um, their their first lines of greetings are great. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were dead. I thought you were smaller. <laughs> <laughs> and they head out, and as they're going, Bucky asks, "Did it hurt? A little. Permanent? So
1: far? <laughs>
0: <laughs> they're great together. I I wish we had more Bucky and Steve. I, I, it's not a criticism movie because that I don't think it would have fit. But I do really like them together. It's a lot of fun.
3: They're a great pair. I mean, and really, Bucky is the continuous theme through the Captain America trilogy.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. even
3: Civil War, which people. It's not a ding, but people are like, well, it's Avengers two and a half. And it's like, sure, but the the Steve Bucky relationship is the thread that carries over all three movies.
0: And we're heading out through the factory that is now exploding and there's fire everywhere and all sorts of stuff going on. And then we run into Johann Schmidt.
2: Captain America! How exciting! I'm a great fan of your films.
0: Let me throw
1: something in real quick, Steve. Remember, yeah, yeah. remember um and in Inglorious Bastards, you have future MCU villain Zemo in there. Uh, mm, Daniel Brule doing yeah. um, what was the the uh, Pride of Our Nation or whatever. Stole, that movie? Yeah, Stoller, yeah, Private Stoller, Private Stoller. So I mean, it's kind of funny how both sides have their propaganda, yet one is considered you know better or good versus it's all point of view, isn't it? And so you see here. I mean, the same the, the fact that he mentions Captain America's movies that's immediately what they essentially were doing uh, for the Nazis when they were doing those films there to kind of prove Lenny Riefenstahl, all that kind of stuff. That's essentially propaganda. So, I mean, it's propaganda, propaganda. It's the same tactics
0: work no matter what side of the fence you're on. you know. So it's the fact that you references them, I think, are really great. It's just the weapons of, of war. And if we look at some of the propaganda that we made back in the day, including like Looney Tunes cartoons, oh,
1: yeah.
0: it is Ooh. some racist, messed up, yeah. you know, I, I'm not saying that it's you know trying for the will Letty reference stall right. kind of thing, but it ain't that good. That's you why know? I like Kenneth Choi's
1: Exchange because they're not going to har- you know harp on the fact that, that there were Japanese internment camps as Captain America First Avenger, but that exchange is an essential allusion to that to say like yep. fra-
0: from Fresno, you idiot. Yeah, it's basically that. Well, and you know as we learn from like the Karate Kid that the the, the mm-hmm. Japanese unit was the most decorated unit in fighting in World War Two. Yeah. For the americans what a surprise and we also see as they're talking that th- that skin on skull's face is not a hundred percent perfect at this moment yeah. which i think is a great little touch and then he punches cap shield denting it and this is the first big like oh wow and they start to fight and we think oh my god this is going to be the big fight And then Zola hits a switch and retracts the the walkway that they're on, and so essentially ending the fight. Apparently, there's a deleted scene where Schmidt yells at Zola for doing this. Mm. (laughs) I mean, the the, towel, don't you throw that
4: towel? the,
3: (laughs) The the backdrop of you know the the factory on fire, and you have that great silhouette of the two of them on that bridge. I mean, yeah, this is this is like an act three setting for a fight totally. but the moment that the bridge retracts i mean again very cool shot
2: no matter what lies asking told you you say i was his greatest success
0: and he pulls off that mask revealing the red skull Ooh. which i think they did an amazing job with
3: yeah yeah Oh, the the makeup on that is is so cool like it, it is very comics accurate but it's but it still looks somewhat realistic like you have the pronounced brow you have the pronounced cheekbones mm-hmm. um it is funny that it did look like hugo weaving had a little bit of a struggle getting getting that mask (laughs) off because you can see i feel like it maybe takes a little bit longer than they would have preferred Uh, and also Mm. there's a piece in the back right which we don't see but clearly was bothering hugo weaving because he rips
0: that off as well (laughs) um so it's uh, so apparently this is how the character of the red skull came about which is Joe Simon wanted to create a really good villain for Captain America, and he is sitting eating an ice cream sundae, as you do, and there's hot fudge on the ice cream sundae, and he goes, oh, maybe some kind of a giant, tentacled, dark monster is going to be the big villain. And then he continues eating his ice cream sundae and looks from the hot fudge to the cherry on top of the ice cream sundae and goes, no, I have a better idea. Oh wow. <laughs> so the red skull comes from the cherry on top of an ice cream sundae. <laughs> That's brilliant. Um, needless to say, this is a big makeup job. It's three and a half hours to put them in this. And one, one of the things I found interesting in, in researching this is that normally latex is the main material you use to make these kinds of masks. This isn't made out of latex, it's made out of silicone. And it gives it that weird sort of glow. It has a very, very different texture from masks that we're used to looking at. Hmm. And then in addition to the the actual physical mask, then they did CG to improve it. One thing is they had to get rid of Hugo Weaving's nose. So that's CG. But they also, you know, made the jaw more square. They lowered the lips so that the teeth are more pronounced. They did a bunch of little things to make it more extreme. And like I said, I think it looks great.
2: You are deluded, Captain. You pretend to be a simple soldier, but in reality, you are just afraid to admit that we have left humanity behind. Unlike you, I embrace it proudly. without fear.
0: And a great cap line in response to that. Then how come you're running? And then uh, Zola and and the Skull head to the roof where there's some sort of gyrocopter thing, which only seats one. Zola's so like, well, how am I going to get out? Because... <laughs> And he hands him the keys to the car and says, not a scratch, doctor, a scratch. <laughs> and Steve and Bucky are trying to get out. They see a, like a beam across this fiery chasm. And Bucky has to go across it, shaking, uh, which seems pretty darn scary to me. And finally, he makes it to the other side, just as the beam, of course, collapses. And Steve Bends the steel railing, which I think maybe it's the first time that Bucky sees just how damn strong he is. Yeah, and then he runs and jumps, and in the midst of jumping across this chasm and explosions everywhere, we dissolve to a typewriter.
2: Senator Brandt, I regret to report that Captain Stephen G. Rogers went missing behind enemy lines on the third. Aerial reconnaissance has proven unfruitful. As a result. I must declare Captain Rogers killed in action.
1: By the way, those are the softest hands I've ever seen typing on a typewriter. <laughs> I was looking at that today. I, was, <laughs> I mean, like, this guy hasn't seen one second of war. He's like a Jeremy whatever his name is in Saving Private Ryan. He hasn't seen one al- a second of war. He's just been sitting in the HQ the whole time.
3: This is, is one of the moments in the movie that it's like, I wonder if they had something a little more grand planned. Um, because that what? shot of him with the with the explosion it is a little it leaves it leaves a little something to be desired like you think there's going to be one extra beat I mean in the transition into the typewriter like that does make sense um but it's like it, it, it is kind of a strange shot you you do kind of feel like I wonder if there was something bigger planned initially
0: I think it's a weird thing too for me like the thing that's missing i think the thing you know uh, i said before like this movie goes downhill a bit not that i don't like it in the second half but i like it less and i'm starting to figure out what some of it is i feel like one of the things that's really weaker is the bucky cap relationship okay. is that we don't see that much of it like it's so great in the it, when they establish it in those first few scenes is that bucky doesn't have a do you know how i said that cap doesn't have the discovery as much as i would like him to when he first gets his power yeah mm-hmm. bucky doesn't have that much he just sees cap and there's kind of a joke or two about you're a giant now and have superpowers right but that's it like we don't really see their friendship that much you know yeah.
1: well i mean i guess that's why they took the cue from that and 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 maybe they thought well we've got bigger plans for him right so let's you know just keep kind of do the broad brush here in the second half of the movie with him.
2: I can't touch Stark. He's rich. And he's the army's number 1 weapons contractor. You are neither one. With respect, sir, I don't regret my actions. And I don't think Captain Rogers did either. What well, makes you think I give a damn about your opinions? I took a chance with you, Agent Carter, and now America's golden boy and a lot of other good men are dead because you had a crush. It wasn't that. I had faith. But coming around
1: when he hears with a commotion and he's walking down. He's almost like a mini Patton walking down with that helmet on. And the timing of it, to see them coming over the hill just as the soldiers um come apart, uh, is just brilliant. And that's the kind of hero moment, the old school America moment that you remember from films in the past. you know. And so it's just like it's great that he was able to capture that through this whole sequence.
3: Agreed. I, I do think there is – Into that whole section, it's not as smooth as it, as it should be, or like, like there is, there is a choppiness to it that does take some of the resonance out of that moment. Um, still, it's a great moment. Like, uh, uh, you know, you, you get to see, you know, Haley Atwell has has some really nice has some really nice moments. And then yep. like getting to see all the guys sort of returning with, you know, Steve Rogers at the head of that group, um, something that I did find funny, <laughs> which I, I hadn't really paid attention to before. But, you know, they've got that Hydra uh, vehicle like that tank. Yeah. And there are several guys riding on it. And then who look fine, like uninjured. But then there are a bunch of guys who are being held up by other dudes. I'm like, maybe you should have put them on the
1: vehicle. (laughs) good point. (laughs) Some of these men need medical attention. I'd like to surrender myself for disciplinary action.
2: That won't be necessary.
1: He won them over. You know, he took some initiative. That's what military men like to see. He took some initiative, went out there, got the soldiers, saved everybody. By the way, that was a lot of people. So I don't know how many people were in that facility before it blew up, but I... I'm glad all those got out Um, and they, uh, you know, they got there. And so, and he turned himself in for disciplinary measures. So he was respectful of the, of the um, Colonel. And for those of you who know the military, you don't salute and then put it down until the superior officer salutes back. Uh, uh, So that was a little bit of a a, a mistake there, but like, he doesn't salute him. Uh, Colonel Phillips doesn't.
0: And then in the end, now he's won him over. I do like this moment a lot. I, I think seeing, you know, and Colonel Phillips's switch and Peggy's relief and really the guys rally- who, were, who were booing and heckling Cap before yeah. rallying around him now. Let's hear it for Captain America. And then we go to an award ceremony. We're in like maybe it's in Washington, D.C. or something. And Senator Brandt is there and about to give Captain America a big award. And he says, To my personal friend, Captain America. <laughs> Nothing. And he repeats it. And then a guy comes out and whispers something in his ear. And of course, we know that Cap's off fighting the war. And we cut to a guy who's dressed up like a general in the audience who says, I thought he'd be taller. <laughs> that is that is your Stanley cameo for the day.
3: Yeah. I really do think this is one of the better Stanley yeah. cameos. I mean, because it was so. It, it was so unexpected. Um, in terms of the senator's staff, like someone has really dropped the ball yeah. the fact that Steve is still in yeah. Europe. Yeah. And yeah. he's expecting him to be behind that
0: curtain. <laughs> yeah, they, they, that person definitely did not do proper prep. Right. We're down now having uh, a meeting, and now Colonel Phillips, who'd been dismissive of Steve this whole movie, says...
2: We are going to set a fire under Johann Schmidt's ass. What do you say, Rogers your map you think you can wipe hydra off of it yes sir i'll need a team we're already putting together the best man with all due respect
1: sir so am i so now he's all in on steve and even when they thought he was gone he was like your golden boy you know you did this you, you risked this or that so he certainly knew the value of the project and of the operation uh and now that he's back he's very much on board with steve and helping him complete these missions to wipe Hydra off the mech, because now he's proven himself in battle. So,
3: yeah, he's he's proven Colonel Phillips wrong that yes, right. that one man can make a difference. One man is responsible for for what just happened. And that man is Steve Rogers. I mean, would if Gilmore Hodge had been the one who had taken the serum, would he have done this? Yeah. You know, probably not. Um, but but I think that's the moment where Again, I think I think, you know, obviously we disagreed with Steve about like the the dismissiveness sure, of sure. Colonel Phillips. But I think it's that moment that he has He he's kind of like, OK, you you were
0: right. I was wrong. Let's move forward. Yeah, absolutely. And I and I think that reversal is is key to the to the movie. Sure. John, you know what you just made me think of What's that? is you said as you were talking about being in the military and, yeah. and you said that, you know, soldiers should use their initiative. Mm-hmm. Do you know what line? From my favorite movie, suddenly popped into my head was that in Lawrence of Arabia. Mm. Allenby says, uh, You know, that you know, is listing all the things that are wrong with Lawrence. And he says, Well, aren't officers supposed to use their serving in the field, supposed to use their initiative at all times? And Allenby says, Not really, Lawrence. It's very dangerous. <laughs> yeah. And Lawrence says, I know. Well, you know that already. And the and what's interesting about the reason I think this is actually is actually that's very much what's happening in this movie, mm-hmm. is the the soldier goes out in the field does something totally totally unexpected, creates this huge coup and then the colonel or the general in the case of Lawrence of Arabia, goes okay I'm going to give you more responsibility because yeah. you've proven yourself right right um, yeah it's it, and it's funny I don't obviously this movie does not have the depth of Lawrence of Arabia. <laughs> But it is it is it's interesting that it's dealing with similar themes. Yeah. So, of course, we know when he says, I'm putting together my own team, exactly who he's talking about. And we cut to some pub, and there he is with the guys who would be the Howling Commandos and Bucky and trying to convince them, you know, they just got out. Let's go back in.
1: Sounds rather fun, actually.
0: I love the characters of the we love to be soldiers team you know <laughs> you know what i mean i didn't express it that well hmm. but they don't take a lot of convincing you know no <laughs> with dugan you just got to buy
3: him a beer yep and apparently he'll go back in um, and the, the 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 fun thing about this scene is when they do go back to that bar and there's a tiny little bartender who's just like you know where are they where are they putting all this stuff that's leander dini that is the scale double for Steve, for Skinny Steve.
0: Oh, <laughs> oh, that's great. I did not know that. That's really great. Um, and so Steve goes off to, you know, to buy some beers for the team. And there is Bucky.
1: How about you? You ready to follow Captain America into the jaws of death? Hell no. That little guy from Brooklyn. I was too dumb not to run away
0: from a fight. I'm following him. That's great. Yeah. Good, Good little moment. But not enough for you, Steve. <laughs> I'll tell you exactly what because I just figured it out. Yeah. So okay. what we're what we're let, uh, let me wait just a minute. And I'll tell you in a minute when we get there.
3: I think I think you and I are probably on the same page. <laughs> okay.
0: Um. So uh. But that moment's really nice, and the guys uh, all sort of burst in a song, and in walks Agent Carter in a red dress. Yeah. Goodness. Did she put on that red dress on purpose? Of course she put on the red dress. Did you know? Do
1: you know women at all? Of course she put on the red dress on purpose. She put on the dress, did her hair,
3: did her makeup yeah. for a two-minute flyby. Yeah. I mean, that is commitment.
0: Well, it might have been more than a two-minute flyby had Steve handled things slightly differently.
1: <laughs>
0: well, yeah, it could have been Wonder Woman with uh, Steve there, as we saw in the movie. The music is going on, and Bucky says to Peggy, You don't like music? I do, actually. And Bucky, still trying to get in there, says, then what are we waiting for? Oh, yeah. And she, without looking at Bucky at all, her eyes glued onto Steve Rogers' eyes, says... The
4: right partner.
0: Oh, great moment.
3: And you know if you've ever been the third wheel in a conversation this is (laughs) this moment perfectly encapsulates it's where you're trying you're trying to get in there but it's like nope this this ship has left the has left the harbor yeah
0: i have been the third wheel many
1: many times
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean
1: this was perfect this was great and it reaffirmed this division between him and Bucky Because Bucky's like, after she just walks away Buck's like, I'm invisible, this is like a whole
0: other Timeline, you know,
3: whole,
1: like,
0: what's going
3: on? <laughs> no, no, he says, I feel like you I feel like yeah.
0: you, yeah, that's true that's I don't know what's happening here <laughs> Howard Stark is experimenting On some little glowy thing That got pulled out of, the, uh, out of the Factory from Schmidt, and he's like, I don't see What the big deal with this thing is, and he's got his Robot arms touching it, and suddenly It explodes, drives him across The room, and the first thing he says is
2: Write that down.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Which is great. That is a great stunt.
3: Like that's probably a, a ratchet pull. That's like you have, you have a stunt man in a harness. There's a cable attached. And yeah. when, you know, when they call action, there's a crank that yanks them back. But I mean, that is such a good, I mean, the, the uh, impact of that explosion. I mean, it looks very, very real.
0: Steve shows up. In what's like the obviously the office of Colonel Phillips and asked to see him and the woman there who is reading a paper that says 400 prisoners liberated at first is saying, well, you got to wait and then looks up and realizes who it is.
2: Of course, you're welcome to wait.
0: I think she plays this beautifully. Yeah. Natalie Dormer. Yeah. From game of Thrones and the hunger games. This
3: is another role that I feel like there was probably some left on the cutting room floor because there's a shot of her before this. Yes. Where she is next to Tommy Lee Jones and she sort of hands, hands him a file or something and kind of rolls her eyes. So it's such a specific choice That it seems like something came before Mm. this, like that, Mm. that would be my guess, because otherwise, I don't know, like, just from a from a director's perspective, it's like, what are you doing? Like, don't roll your eyes. Don't roll your eyes at the kernel.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so funny, because now now I'm thinking about from an editor's perspective. Those are the things that drive you nuts. Mm-hmm. Is that you go, I have this remnant of this other beat that I took out the beat, but I need this shot for another reason, and I can't get rid of the eye roll.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: And that becomes all, every time you see the scene, that's all you see. Right. Um, uh, but I didn't pick it up. I'm glad I'm glad you picked it up, Shannon. Um, oh, John did uh, I, too, I think. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: yeah. I always spot extras or, or actors doing too much in moments. It drives me insane. Lindley will tell you tales and tales of me pausing. TV shows or movies where I go, look at that extra, or look at that actor doing the extra. You don't need to do that extra shit. You're taking attention away from the central point of the scene. You know, so I get <laughs> it. <laughs>
3: I there is. That. As as I know, the files will do a little digressions from, from here and then um, th- there is a moment <laughs> in Spider Man two thousand two where it is the Flash Peter Parker fight and there's this one background uh, background performer who went on to do a, a, he he was the he was background on Chuck like he was there for oh, wow. whenever they were working in their Best Buy like store but he, he's he's a chubbier guy he's got he's got glasses. At some point during the scene, whoever I, I believe it's the second AD who was in charge of the background performers, um, he got a note because at, at some point, at, in some shots, he's he's kind of cheering Peter on, like "Yeah, get him," and then there are other shots where he's just in awe, like "Oh, I can't believe what we're, what we're seeing right now." Yeah. And that's not something like every movie goer, every movie goer is going to notice. But that was something I noticed the first time I
0: saw that movie in the theaters. I'm like, what's with, what's with this kid in the background? <laughs> pick, a, pick a lane. Oh, so so now I'm going to continue the digression a little. I remember, so So, <laughs> Karen as you know loves to sing and she's been in a lot of choirs uh, and in choruses and what she, she's talked about is like the job of the soloist is different from the job of the person in the chorus is the job of the person in the chorus is to blend perfectly with the other people in the chorus to create the right sound right. to support the soloist is that you're not supposed to. And it's really that's the job of an extra is you're supposed to be adjust that you're not supposed to stand out. Right. You're supposed to be at the level and be in the scene. Yeah, but that's it. You know, you're accoutrement now. This uh, the, this woman who is approaching Steve Rogers, she is trying to stand out. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> and I love I love her tactic. I mean, first of all, we all know what her intentions are; they're very clear.
5: You're a hero. Well, that you know that
0: that depends on the definition. Really. The
5: women of America, they owe you their thanks. And uh, seeing as they're not
0: here, does everybody watching this know that Peggy's about to walk up?
2: Of course. <laughs> We're ready for you if you're not otherwise occupied.
1: Oh, no. She didn't just move in for the kiss. They were kissing for a few seconds. Yes, So, you yes. Know, I'm going to make that clear because that is an odd beat. Because I get that Steve's awkward, but he still has, with women, rather, but he still has feelings for Peggy. So it's odd that he, the good old American Steve wouldn't come to the forefront in that moment and keep him from kissing her or saying something like, oh, you know, I'm that's not my thing or whatever. But he... He indulges in the kiss for a few seconds. So him coming after agent Carter trying to be like, it's not what you think is absolute horseshit. He was indulging in it for sure. So well, there's America, a ain't above his, he ain't above his foibles. Let me just put that up. <laughs>
3: I, I feel like he's 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 a little in shock like this is this has never happened before yeah. that uh, I mean maybe this is his
1: first kiss we don't know so you're telling um, me the one thing he can do with his powers that he's shocked by is get kissed by a woman
0: everything else he's he, he doesn't
1: have a moment where he's like <laughs> whoa I can do this and come on.
0: <laughs> I, I I think I think Skinny Steve has developed no defenses against women whatsoever. Clearly, <laughs> yeah. I don't think he has any idea what he's. I think he is a full deer in the headlights in this moment. And John, as you said, I mean, and titillated, like you know, yes, like sure. oh, I, of course. Now, now on the other hand, though, here's why what I don't find believable. Are you telling me that none of those chorus girls that he toured the U.S. with in yeah. the U.S.O. show didn't make any moves on Steve Rogers? Yeah, yeah um i i would think that i <laughs> i've toured with actors and singers and dancers a little bit it's a lot of stuff that goes on backstage <laughs> But, but the, needless, to say, needless to say agent carter is not pleased
3: looks like finding a partner wasn't that hard after all
0: hey, that's not what you thought it was
2: i don't think anything captain not one thing you always wanted to be a soldier and now you are just like all the rest
3: mm, that is rough yeah, she got that British stiff upper
0: lip, man. Yeah, it's a really rough moment, and his comeback is weak. Well, what about you and Stark? How do I know you two haven't been fonduing? <laughs> now, does he actually have no idea what the word fondue means? Is that he clearly the- doesn't. Yeah.
3: He clearly doesn't. I mean, I think all of John's points that he made about Steve's foibles are perfectly valid until he tries to use fondue as a verb <laughs> talking about uh, uh, carnal relations. Fondue's just cheese and bread, my friend. Really? I didn't think... No should you, pal. The moment you think you know what's going on in a woman's head is the moment your goose is well and truly cooked.
0: Not wrong. And a great line. Full and truly cooked is a great... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and right now he's we get to basically Howard Stark is now going to be Q.
3: I hear you're uh, kind of attached it's handier than you might think. I took the liberty of coming up with some options.
0: The electric shield and you know magnetic shields and Steve notices that underneath on the shelf just sort of casually almost misplaced down there is this shiny round shield. What about this one? No no that's just a prototype. What's it made of? Vibranium. And I love that as he
3: picks up the shield, it makes that sound. This is something that I think the MCU has done so well, and it's it's uh, mainly for people that have read comics all their lives is you got you get to hear the sounds that in a comic book you would read a word, hmm. like like Wolverine's claws coming out like the snicked um getting to hear what cap shield sounds like same thing like with with Mjolnir same thing anytime Iron Man uses his repulsors their sound design on all of their sort of legacy characters has been so
0: good here's what's weird about this because then we go on to describe like no that's a prototype that's the rarest metal on earth and he goes well why don't you make more of these it's like that's all there is and it's like okay so they took all the vibranium they had in the United States (laughs) they for some reason shaped it into the shape of a shield Yeah, brought it to Europe, put it on the bottom shelf, (laughs) just kind of sitting there casually like this stuff is worth millions of dollars. And that wasn't even what he was showing to Cap. He wasn't even going to show him that shield. Yeah, (laughs) That That doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But still, it is the moment. You know, this is Excalibur. This is the moment of him coming together with the great weapon, his great symbol. And as he picks it up, Peggy approaches. What do you think? She immediately, without hesitation, grabs a gun.
4: Yes, I think it works.
3: I mean, it's a prototype. What if it hadn't worked? Yeah, (laughs)
4: you know,
1: he just kissed another girl. I don't think he deserves three bullets at him with a shield. I mean, it seems a bit of an extreme reaction from Agent Carter, but I mean, I think this is why people think she's such a badass. She's got no qualms. Uh, you know, <laughs> risking things in certain moments, and certainly if the prototype hadn't worked, it would have been a bad situation because it would. Because I mean, didn't the Colonel Phillips like accuse her of, 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 of using a crush to inspire, her, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, Captain America? So, I mean, what would be her defense in this moment? I
0: wonder because well, it is absolutely because her crush was kind of and it, uh, it's, it's, jealous it's, and she got jealous over her crush, yeah. It's not, and it's not just that the prototype works, it's that Steve's reflexes actually lift up the shield, yes, and he isn't going he's not gonna shoot me is she, you know. <laughs>
3: <laughs> what do you do? Because that that is a low ceiling where they are. That's true. What do you do if the bullets ricochet? <laughs>
1: yeah, it could have absolutely hit Stark. Yeah. yeah. But it's um, a great, great moment because they both come together looking at her like you could almost hear the 1940s music you something like that. <laughs>
0: <right> <laughs> and then they cut to whatever they cut to next. I had some ideas about the uniform. Whatever you want, pal. Cut to and putting the shotgun into his holster, and we see we're gearing up to go off on missions in a classic superhero sense.
3: This is where I think the movie does take a little bit of a dip. I I think the montage doesn't necessarily serve serve it entirely. Like, it's awesome getting to see Cap and the Howling Commandos do all this action. Like, it's really, really great. It's just from a story perspective, it's just not that exciting. Like, it's cool looking, but I do agree with Steve. Like, th- there are maybe moments here where we could have strengthened that Bucky-Cap relationship. So, um, yes,
0: we are on the same page exactly. Okay. Today. That is exactly what I was going to say. I think it's a perfectly good montage. Huh. Uh, it, it, the action sequences are are well choreographed. They're fun. They're not... As spectacular as maybe some later on in Marvel movies are going to be, but they're good. But if instead they had cap with Bucky as his partner
4: Mm -hmm.
0: and them talking and planning and seeing how seeing not only their friendship, but the heroism, how they work together, Bucky's intelligence. And you and you develop and you go, this is my right hand man. I couldn't do any of this without you. Right. Right. Then his death would have a lot more power. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I can totally understand
1: that. Um, I think they just, you know, it's called Captain America, I, Captain America and Bucky. So I think in their minds, they were thinking, well, let's just focus on Cap and let's have him be the central guy, blah, blah, blah. And um, and then down the road, if we if things work out, we'll have stuff for Sebastian Stan. So, But you guys make a good point. You know, it would have worked certainly to give more depth to the death when it happens, because although the death is moving, just as the last death is moving, or supposed death is moving, It doesn't have quite the same weight, you know, because of um, how it all goes about. We, we you're right, Stephen, Shannon. We don't have the moments with them extended through the montage so that when the death happens, it's even more shocking. Right. Mm -hmm. So. Um. yeah i hear you i mean i understand the logic that they were going with but i think you guys
0: make excellent points and during the middle of this montage where we see steve and the guys out fighting there's actually newsreel footage of them <laughs> and peggy and colonel phillips are watching the newsreel footage and as steve pulls out his compass and opens it up what's on the inside of the compass a oh, little little cut out picture of peggy
3: yeah. yeah where did he get
0: that from
1: <laughs> I was wondering that too. <laughs> well, you know, there are a lot of open windows, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> silly. I don't know.
2: You are failing!
5: We are close to an offensive that will shake the planet. Yet we are continually delayed because you cannot outwit a simpleton with a shield! It's hardly
0: my area of expertise. I I merely developed the weapons, I, I cannot fire them. <laughs>
1: This is fascinating too isn't it because it's like well why the reason why isn't um Schmidt able to inspire the soldiers to fight you know and it's because he's a hateful person and so people aren't going to give that extra commitment or dedication um uh to fight at the same level that they are for Captain America he inspires them yeah um and so that's there's the difference so the problem isn't that there isn't uh Zola or the soldiers especially that moment he's like, we fought to the last man is apparently not um, <laughs>
3: Another, Um Another you know, <laughs>
1: exactly it's because schmidt is 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 a dick and so they're yeah. not gonna fi- follow a dick and let this be a lesson to everybody um most of the time people don't follow dicks uh unless they're, getting, <laughs> unless they're getting something out of it i
0: suppose but yeah it just is fascinating to watch this happen Here, first of all so many jokes that i'm <laughs> not gonna say yeah. second of all Second of all, I'm sure both of you at one point or another have had the boss. When things went wrong, they felt that the problem was they hadn't sufficiently yelled at you. Yes. Motivated you enough. Yeah. Like, obviously you haven't understood, like, no, I haven't come up with a new strategy or any better ways to do anything or any plans. I just feel like things aren't working. It's obviously your fault. I'll yell at you. Yeah. (laughs) And this is my brief digression is that normally it's the boss. The boss is the person who has to figure out how to make it work better. Yeah, it's Schmidt's job to figure out how to stop Captain America, particularly because he also has superpowers. Right. Exactly. What That's the what fuck have you been doing?
4: Yeah. yeah.
0: We're on this snowy mountaintop. We, we've decoded a Hydra message that says that Zola is going to be on this train. And so they're going to have to slide down on this zip line with a 10 second window to land on top of the speeding train. Yeah. The thing that I think about this is like Cap has superpowers. Yeah. <laughs> the other guys don't. This seems like, and I was going like, why is Cap the only guy with a helmet? The guy who's like the most durable. <laughs> he seems to be asking a lot of these other guys. Well, you can't put the helmet over the bowler. So, you know, it's just kind of fair. I always <laughs> wonder if the it's like a steel line bowler, by the way. Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh, So ridiculous. A little, it could be like an odd job weapon.
3: Um, and that's actually what I was thinking. Like that that <laughs> sequence hit the cutting room floor is when Dum Dum Dugan decapitates a guy
1: with his bowler. Dum Dum killed a guy.
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. I it. I, well, and it's funny. Like you said, John, in the last part, I would have loved yeah. more of them. Oh, yeah, I, absolutely. It would have been a lot of fun. Um, but they slide down, they land on the train, they go into the train, we fight through a bunch of guys. By the way, I think this whole thing was a reshoot. Mm. That they did it in a narrower train car and then they re- didn't like the choreography. Either. I don't know, but I feel like I, I think that they reshot this. Mm. Cap comes through and blocks one of the big hydro weapons with the shield and then loses the shield. And Bucky picks up the shield, holds it up and the hydro weapon hits him, knocks him through the hole in the train car. Steve wins, comes outside, and there is Bucky hanging from the train. You no, know, they're reaching for him, trying to grab him, and Bucky falls. We think to his death. So, this one moment, um,
3: I do feel like they really dropped the ball hmm. um, in the Avengers: Earth's Mightiest Heroes animated series. And John has heard me talk about this before. Yeah, um, but it came out in around 2010. But in their Captain America episode, which was in black and white, it was like sort of, you know, it was a flashback to watching um, Cap in World War II fight the Red Skull. Um, their Bucky is a kid. Mm-hmm. But what happens and this always makes me emotional. I'm going to try to I'm going to try to lock it up here. Um, but what happens in their sequence is the Red Skull is is in some sort of plane rocket ship thing. Cap has climbed on the, the, the plane is going to D.C., Bucky Cap looks and he sees Bucky is behind him and granted Bucky's a kid here mm-hmm. but at one point Bucky slips and Cap catches him and it uh-huh. becomes that choice of do I stop the villain or do I save my friend right. and Bucky's it's Bucky's choice Bucky says oh here we go um he says the world needs you more than me mm. and Bucky let's go damn and that would have made would have been a stronger sequence because I mean you you know you've got all the pieces set up there that he he's hanging on to this you know blown outside of a train it looks like they're both gonna fall yeah. and Bucky chooses to let go and the following scene which you know, I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit but the moment where uh, Peggy says you know this was Bucky's choice. Mm-hmm. It wasn't really <laughs> like he <Yeah>. fell. <laughs> if you actually had him actively sacrifice himself for his friend because he knows his friend is going to be the one to be able to save the world, yeah. I think that that moment lands a lot harder and it strengthens that uh Steve Bucky relationship.
0: It's way better. Yeah. That is way and because now I'm picturing it is I'm picturing like Steve is reaching for me. He's almost about to get him. And you cut to Zola is getting away. Yeah. Like Zola is got some secret way to get away. And Steve sees it and makes the choice. No, I'm going to save my friend. And Bucky goes like that. And let's go. Yeah. And then I can picture Chris Evans is looking, you know, like, oh, my God, my friend just died. That reaction. And then turning towards Zola. And the anger on his face and charging because one of the other things I think is weird about the sequence is it's not Steve Rogers that grabs Zola. It's another guy. And it's kind of anticlimactic, you know, and it's like, but if you had Bucky just died and he turns and fights through 20 guys of Hydra brutally and grabs Zola, Mm -hmm. that would be like a hell of a moment. And then and you're totally right too. the scene with Peggy has way more force later on.
1: Yeah. 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 These
0: are great I, I, points. These are great points. I'm on I'm on team Shannon on this one
3: 100%. Well, again, I can't take credit for that idea. Again, like the the animated series is the one that did this and I feel like a lot of the
0: comics. Yeah, but you this... told me about it. Yeah, so Okay.
1: You know what? I'm the, taking you know. I'm taking just, the credit.
0: Take the credit. <laughs> um uh we're in London. Zola has been captured. This is it's this is like one of those scenes of like here are two really good actors yeah. having a really good time playing this scene. he's in like a prison cell nervous he sees some blood in walks colonel phillips with a tray of food, with a nice steak and potato dinner
2: what is this steak what is in it
0: cow (laughs) and zola doesn't want it because he doesn't eat meat it disagrees with him and phillips says
2: how about cyanide does that
3: give you the rumbly tummy too the, the Tommy Lee Jones take the rumbly
0: tummy. Yeah. <laughs> Tommy Lee Jones takes the steak and starts eating it.
4: Given the valuable information he has provided, and in exchange for his full cooperation, Dr. Zole is being remanded
2: to Switzerland? I sent that message to Washington this morning. Of course, it was encoded. You guys haven't broken those codes, have you? <laughs> it's a great
0: little trap. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And it's just, as you pointed out, Steve, I mean, this is two, these are two really, really talented actors just having a good time. And the visual, again, this would have been a 1940s thing, but I don't know how many of our, how many of your listeners have ever had steak with a glass of milk.
0: (laughs) 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 What? I, well, that would not be kosher. So I oh yeah. nice. No, I, I don't kosher. Talk about the rumbly tumblies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and basically, he's like, "Look, Schmidt's going to come to kill you. Regardless, you you can no longer be trusted. So you might as well help us." Which isn't flawed logic, Steve. It is not flawed logic. No, absolutely.
1: This guy's a madman.
0: Schmidt believes he walks in the footsteps of the gods.
5: Hmm.
2: Only
0: the world itself will satisfy him. You do realize
2: that's nuts, don't you? The
0: sanity of the plan is of no consequence. Then why is that? Because he can't do it. I think that's a great line. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And we cut to the first image, full image we see of that Hydra flying wing. And the skull is there. And this is like basically the to evil scene, you know? <laughs>
3: <laughs> the black and white. I mean, this is this is 100% no, no, redempt- no redemptive qualities. He is a bad guy
0: yeah well and the the hydra guys it's they're like stormtroopers you know what i mean they're just they have no characters they're just a mindless group of people that support the bad guy right Uh, and by the way they're also a whole bunch of digital copies because they only had like 20 hydra guys and then they just (laughs) duplicated them over and over again uh this is the scene we were talking about before is steve is in the ruins of some bombed out building and peggy comes find him and steve is trying to get drunk and the super soldier serum we won't even let him get drunk yeah i've decided not to take the super soldier serum now i <laughs> was going a that's to a, that's what did it huh <laughs> that's what did it like not ever
3: it wasn't your fault
0: did you read the report yes then you know that's not true
5: did you believe in your friend did you respect him then stop blaming yourself allow barnes the dignity of his choice
0: yep i'm back to the shannon mcclund ch- plan here <laughs> <laughs> the, the plagiarized Sam, Shannon McClung plan <laughs> so now we're in this big meeting this scene apparently was all shot in one shot and the problem with shooting everything in one shot is you can't cut anything out and so they went oh, yeah. and, and this is why I, I am as a director I really suck at this because I think like an editor and so I, and, and so I can always adjust the timing of everything in post When you shoot everything in one shot, everything, the timing has to be right on. It has to be perfect. And I'm not, and the camera always has to be in the right place. So I'm not good at that. Um, But they got into posts and they went, this scene is way too long. And there's a whole bunch of lines we don't need. And so then they took their everything in one shot and cut it up into little pieces. And then the lines didn't quite work. So they ADR different words into people's mouths to make the whole scene kind of make sense. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) That's a lot of work in post messing around. It is is a lot of
1: work in post.
0: And what we basically hear is that Schmidt's plan is to wipe out the entire eastern seaboard in the next 24 hours. It'll take him an hour to do it. And that they're at their one last base, which is in the Swiss Alps underneath the surface and really hard to attack. So what are we supposed to do? It's not like we can just knock on the front door. Why not? That's exactly what we're going to do. I think this is a fun sequence, but I don't think Steve's plan makes a whole lot of sense.
3: No. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the whole idea that, all right, I'm going to get myself captured um, and everyone is going to be so distracted by the fact that they have me you're going to be able to zip line in right to schmidt's office right <laughs> it's it's a little it's a little convenient
0: well and if you can just zip line into schmidt's office why didn't steve just zip line into schmidt's office you know that's true <laughs> that's a very good point but the sequence of him riding his motorcycle through these guys and taking out group after group which kind of by the way reminds me of another film the three of us have talked about which is last crusade
1: Mm. you know, right, right? uh
0: I think it's a really fun sequence. I like him, you know, he pulls the pin out of a grenade. he you know all the stuff he does to get in, turns his motorcycle into essentially a bomb to hit the door. it's real all really fun a- action stuff, yeah,
3: yeah, and I feel like when he when he is off the motorcycle and he's taking on all the guys, um you know, kind of one versus twenty, this is when we really get to see him start ricocheting the shield, yeah, off of stuff, mm-hmm. which is right. you know for for an
0: action lover, it's just super cool. Yeah. It is. And by the way, there are many different shields they built. So they built a metal shield. They built a rubber shield, which is what he's using when he's actually hitting people with it. Mm-hmm. They built a magnetic shield. So, when, and what that's for is when he puts it on his back, it'll stick to his back. But then they also have like a soft shield that's more comfortable when he wears it on his back for a long time. But then for all the ricocheting, do you know what kind of shield they used? No. Digital. Yeah. No oh. shield. No shield. He's <laughs> just climbing it. And they're adding it later, (laughs) which, which is a Chris Evans had to come up with ways to mine throwing and catching the shield. And he does a great job. I think. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I mean the, the one, the moment where, and I think it's during the montage actually, but the moment where he throws the shield and the shield's kind of coming to camera, it's like the great 3d movie shot. Mm -hmm. I mean, they use that shot at the, during the credits of Avengers Endgame. I mean. This was eight years later and they still hadn't come up with like, that was such a great, awesome, awesome cap shield moment. Like that's, that's one of his, that's one of his closing moments in the credits.
0: Yeah. And and by the way, uh, something Joe Johnson apparently learned when he did the Rocketeer was to have fight choreography be part of the audition process. Ooh! so the actor had to learn fight choreography in order to get this gig. Well, it's, it's it's like Michael Bay. Michael
1: Bay says, well, to a degree, I'm going make the connection. Michael Bay makes it very clear that if you're going to be cast in a Michael Bay film, you better, have, you better be at the top of your endurance, because he likes his actors to be the ones running throughout the whole film. So when he does an action sequence, he's like, pretty much, there's no stunts. You're running. And so right. uh, he's very clear about that um, with casting. So I appreciate that. Ben Affleck talked about it all. He's like, I was kind of out of shape when I took... Uh, Armageddon. though we don't do a lot of running. I had to get in shape in order to be able to do that kind of stuff. (laughs) Um,
0: And in the end of the sequence, he's surrounded by guys with double flamethrowers, and then all the rest of Hyder is surrounded. He's captured. They bring him in.
2: Arrogance may not be a uniquely American trait, but I must say you do it better than anyone.
0: And they talk about Erskine.
2: He resented my genius and tried to deny me what was rightfully mine. But he gave you everything. So what made to you so special? Nothing. I'm just a kid from Brooklyn.
0: (laughs) These lines would be corny if Chris Evans didn't deliver them so well. Yes. And Schmidt gets so pissed he punches him because he's like, the fact that an ordinary
1: person can become superhuman or super, uh, you know, super uh, hero insults him insults his intelligence and, and so he
0: lashes out in anger and jealousy and frustration and what does cap say after taking a couple of super powered punches from schmidt
5: <laughs>
0: I, can I can do, do this, this all day, day.
5: <laughs> yes but i don't have the time for you to do this okay? <laughs> so,
0: so he pull- <laughs> so he pulls out his gun and is about to shoot cap and then just as this is happening this is when the zip lines hit and in comes the howling Uh, commandos. And that is when Schmidt runs off. And then what we see is that Colonel Phillips and Agent Carter with the whole army are waiting outside and they launch their attack. Yeah. Uh, Which, by the way, I don't understand why the Hydra soldiers are standing in front of the wall It seems like they don't understand the technology of a wall. (laughs) Walls only work if you stand behind them. (laughs) This
3: is, again, this is like the big Act 3 sequence where you you have to suspend your disbelief a little bit. But it's like, wow, you have superior weapons and the high ground. I mean, we learned from Episode 3, like, that's all you need. (laughs) All they would have to do is stand on top of that wall and just... Pick those soldiers off, but then you know we don't have the we don't have the fun, exciting
0: sequence of the good guys winning. Well, and what we heard before basically was it's impossible to frontal assault this place, which is pretty much exactly I mean what we don't see like our guys inside take out the defenses that allow the people in the front to get in. We don't Mm -hmm. see that. Right. What we do see is Steve chasing uh the red skull through these hallways. He throws his shield in order to stop a door from closing and then Peggy shows up. You're late. And there's a long look between them, a romantic moment. And then,
2: What not you about to?
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> and he grabs his shield, heads off after the skull who's uh, gotten into the flying wing. Cap runs through this airplane hangar, taking out guys as he goes. A lot of this is digital, but fun. And he is running after the plane. And he is not going to catch the plane, so it's a good thing that Colonel Phillips and Peggy pull up in that cool Hydra car.
3: (laughs) And proceed down the longest runway in history before we get to that Fast and Furious movie where they have an even longer (laughs) runway. Yeah.
0: Um, And they're chasing after him. And I like that he hits, you know, the, the, the superpower rocket button and flames shoot out of the car. All fun. He leans in and has one last kiss with Peggy. Go get him. And Philip says,
4: "I'm not kissing you."
0: That's <laughs> a great line.
3: I mean, the the moment because because I feel like uh, uh, going back to that original screening that John and I got to go mm. got to go to that moment where Peggy says, "Go get him." It's like even though like there weren't a ton of people in that audience, like it was so empowering. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. go get him, Cap! And then you have that great comic button <laughs> with crusty old Tommy Lee Jones. Okay. Well, I'm not kissing you. <laughs>
0: I wonder, does Marvel have a punch-up guy that goes through and just adds one-liners? Certainly. Oh,
3: I I think they have, I I think they probably have a staff of punch-up people who who go in and add one-liners. My my guess is that that could have been a Joss Whedon joke.
0: Mm, Totally. (sighs) Maybe, yeah. Well, because it is one of the things that Marvel, when they're doing well, does so great, which is you can be emotionally involved in the story, but those jokes keep coming, you know? Mm And they and they manage to hit the right tone of not too jokey that it takes you out of it. Yeah. But fun and in the moment.
3: See, I think the one the one c- cause I mean, obviously they don't they don't have a perfect record, but I feel like the one um Avengers movie where the jokes come a little too fast and furious is part two. Yeah. It um, right. There there are so many Steak sucking moments like, you know, you've got, you know, Sokovia, you know, it's 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 flying in the air, but then Hawkeye and Black Widow are quipping about what to do with like the living room at Hawkeye's place. Yeah. And it's like, I wonder, because Joss Whedon had such a documentedly like, terrible time making that movie i'm like is that why the writing especially those those one-liners why they were kind of so crappy yeah. um is because the experience overall like he just had a re- it was just a, a really difficult time making that movie
1: but also it's like you know it's believing your own press as well as where you think oh this is more jokes more jokes this will be great this will be great and you don't understand how that can like you said take the stakes
0: uh, really lower the stakes of the whole situation it is a really that is a really hard do- thing to get those mm-hmm. jokes and get the tone just right yeah it's tough um and 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 really we see marvel do it really really well in a lot of movies mm-hmm. steve is now inside the flying wing and we have more hand to hand combat with guys we see these big bombs with uh, different american city names on them one of the bombs drops out with one of the guys. It's totally Dr. Strangelove. <laughs> Another guy gets it. And these bombs are, it's like a bomb plane thing. Mm-hmm. Is this a suicide job? I mean, I didn't get the sense that those were
3: bombs. I got the sense that they are just smaller aircrafts that will then mm. carry the payload. But I mean, that that probably, your theory probably yeah. makes more sense.
0: Yeah. So this guy jumps into one of the these bomb slash planes, whatever it is, and Steve sees him, tr- gets his shield, tries to open up the thing. Another guy jumps on top of Steve on top of the plane. He loses his shield. We drop out, and now we're on a fight on this small plane thing out in flying around. <laughs> I, I really wonder about the thoughts of the Hydra guy who's on top of this thing fighting with a super-powered guy, <laughs> yeah. just going like, I regret my choices. <laughs> <You know? laughs> there, there's no way I make it out of this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even if I win the fight, I'm still going to die.
1: Nope, was a bad idea.
0: <laughs> and his death is one of the more brutal, I think in Marvel movies. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah.
3: That's the, the Raiders, the Raiders death, the propeller.
0: Yeah. But we don't see the Raiders one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This one, you see him fly into the propeller and become just a burst of, you know, blood. Yeah. <laughs> pretty nasty
3: as as much fun as this sequence is um i do feel like this is one they probably could have lost that yeah. we we just want to get cap to fight red skull like we just want that confrontation and yeah. it's just it's just funny that you know he he goes out on the little mini plane and ends up back in the big plane it's just like i was like nah let's let's just get to it
0: well and and this is the thing is i'm not that emotionally involved Mm. I, I'm i enjoying the action sequences that are relatively well done, right? But I don't feel like I don't feel a lot of emotional tension around this thing. Mm-hmm. You know, fair enough. You know what else? Uh, going back to the Shannon McClung Bucky death plan is that if it wasn't Zola, if it was the Red Skull, mm-hmm. and he got away, then his anger towards Schmidt would be much higher in this scene.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, you know. Uh, you know, we're talking about the back half of the movie. And, and as, as we're
1: talking about this now, cause we're getting close to the end, it strikes me that not only did they kind of maybe then hundred percent reinforce the relationship between Bucky and cap so that the death carries a little more weight. They also kind of sideline Schmidt as yes. more than, you know, cause you've got the montage, you've got all this captain America stuff where folks, but we don't see him going into these towns and torturing people and killing people willy nilly women, men and children, like old people. We don't see this building, anger that we need to have as an audience so that we're cheering for cap even more to stop this monster um and i and i, I imagine that's a conscious choice because they're trying to make this like a 1940s type movie where you don't really see too many unsettling things going on from the villain side of things in a world war ii movie but still i think it's a modern audience you've got to show them a little bit more and schmidt is kind of a forgotten villain by the time we get to this confrontation. So much so that it just devolves into them just fighting as a regular one-on-one type fight where it could have been so much more where, you know, if I'm going to live to kill more people, that kind of thing, so that there's even uh, a higher weight to it and bigger stakes to the fight more than just stopping this guy. It's about all these people who have died that he is avenging in a way, and I think it could have carried a little more weight there if we'd had more time with him.
3: So. Yeah, I think there's probably a situation where that train sequence that's Red Skull and Zola are both on that train. And yeah. Red Skull yeah. gets away mm, right, right. and Zola gets captured. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I, I think I think you're I think that's a really good point, John.
0: Because what we end up with is a hand to hand fight scene between yeah. these two guys that, again, there's I won't say that it's not well done. It is well done, particularly sure. the moment where the shield goes into the controls and the plane starts going down. So they basically lose gravity and they fly up to the ceiling. Yeah. Uh, which the way it was done, by the way, is they just redress the floor to look like the ceiling because, <laughs> because the whole interior of the plane looks very similar. And so they're really just fighting on the same floor they were on before. And they're, they're on wires. <laughs> and he knocks the skull into the cube, which explodes with all this light. And Schmidt says, what have you done? And he reaches down and picks up the Tesseract, yeah. picks up an Infinity Stone.
3: Which propels him through space. Nick Fury also does this in Avengers, and he's fine. Yeah, Um, right? But, yeah, I mean, like, at the time, like, we all kind of figured Red Skull wasn't dead because because of the fact, like, okay, this opened a hole in space, and this is before we knew the Tesseract was the Space Stone. But, yeah, I mean, you do wonder how far ahead that they knew because with um, Loki's scepter in Avengers that fires like a blue blast as well. And then you kind of find out later, like, Oh, did you not know that you were going to have the mind stone, a yellow stone in there? Right. Like if, if you had yeah. known that your, those blasts probably would have been yellow,
0: you would have thought.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: I find this to be a totally unsatisfying ending for the red skull in this movie. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and Steve, I, you know, I compare this to the end of Dr. Strange, which I like, I like that it's different, right? Cause it's an, it's a battle between Wills uh, with him and Dormammu, and then he eventually wears him down and and tricks him and gets him to do the things that he wants. With this, you set up this big fight, and then all of a sudden he's zapped out into space, and it's not from anything Steve did. So it's a yeah. little bit of a cop-out of an ending for sure, even though we do, they do fix it later on in Infinity War and Endgame, which I think is great. Um, I, I still think it's kind of an odd ending to eliminate... One of the main, essentially, the Joker to Captain America's Batman or Batman's Captain America, whatever, it, 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 you just eliminate him like that, and just as an odd decision, you know, an odd way out. Yeah, you think that maybe like there,
3: there's a scenario where Cap throws a shield and that knocks Red Skull into this into this void. I mean, it's yeah. something active yeah. that Cap does to
0: defeat the villain. Oh yeah, yeah. that could it could work too. Yeah. Well, and it's it's really no choice from either of them because Cap doesn't do anything cool to make this moment happen. Right. And he doesn't pick up the, the stone for any particular reason. You know what I mean? Right. Like, it's not like he goes with this. I, I will finally defeat you because I'm going to use the power of the, You know what I mean? It's just he just picks it up and looks at it. Right. And dies or disappears. Yeah. But needless to say, he is gone. The cube falls and then basically melts its way through the bottom of the plane. Uh, Steve gets on his controls Sees the planes heading for New York City, and he cuts on his radio and calls and finds Peggy. Come in, this is
2: Captain Rogers, Do you read me? Captain Rogers, what is your? Steve, non- is that you? Are you all right? Peggy.
0: As
3: unsatisfying as the Red Skull's defeat is, mm. um, this moment quickly makes you forget it.
4: Uh, give me your coordinates. I'll find you a safe landing site. It's not going to be a safe landing.
0: And she's doing everything to stop this from happening.
4: Please don't do this. We have time. We can work it out.
0: Right now, I'm in the middle of nowhere. If I wait any longer, a lot of people are going to die.
1: Peggy, this is my choice.
3: Every time I watch this ending, I always yeah. get I always get tears in my eyes. Yeah, I
0: agree. It's great because it it's it's re- referencing Bucky. It's what is the first moment that she saw Steve, or yeah. not the first moment, but throwing himself on the grenade. You know. This is who he is. Yeah. And now Steve looks down, picks up that picture that we saw earlier in the newsreel, and he puts it up and looks at it.
1: You're going to need a rain check on
0: that dance.
1: All right. A
3: week next Saturday at the Stork Club.
0: Uh, you got it. Totally gets me, this scene. Mm. Mm. And I think the way that it ends is so brilliant and so painful mm. because it's so subtle. He says, "You know, I still don't know how to dance."
4: I'll show you how. Just
0: be there. We'll have the band play something slow. I'd hate to step on your. Mm.
3: Mm. (laughs) I'm gonna start crying. (laughs) (laughs) The the repeated attempts where she's trying to get him back, like she knows, but she can't. She can't stop. Like she has to. She has to keep trying to get him back, and like you get that great little shot of uh, Dominic Cooper um, in the background. And he slowly kind of
1: gives her her moment. I don't know if you guys notice this, but uh, Phillips does as well. Phillips is back there and sends out the guy that was sitting there next to Peggy for a second because he knows, like, let him have their time. So he respects, you know, as much as he was bashing her about the crush or whatever, he does respect that there's real chemistry between them and real affection. And so if this is a soldier giving his life for his country to save the world, he deserves to have a one-on-one with his lady, you know. So he respects it.
0: Part of me wonders why Steve can't bail out at the last minute, but you know. It's not in the script. It's not in the script. <laughs> but it's not, we got like 70 years we gotta get into the future, man. Exactly, man. This is this is not even where he's supposed to be. He's gotta make sure. We see the plane slide under the ice, and then we're it's V Day, and we see these celebrations. And there's our guys are toasting the captain. We see this kind of primitive robot arm grab this cube from underwater and there's howard so we know that they recovered that phillips hands peggy a classified folder that says inactive and she starts to open it and there's a long pause this pause was really created in post Mm. between when she gets it and when we see the picture of skinny steve which i think adds a lot of drama and the last thing we see is a kid with a garbage can lid Painted to look like Captain America's shield in New York. Mm. I think the montage is great. I have one comment about it. I would totally have played this entirely without dialogue and just music. I think all the dialogues unnecessary. Oh. I think it would have played way more emotionally if it was just music. I think it's not a bad choice. It would have been cool to see.
3: Is there a ton of dialogue though? Like I'm trying. Yeah, to we hear
0: Howard talking about finding the cube, mm. and the, we hear the toast to cap- like I don't need to hear them say to the captain. We could gotcha. just see them toasting and I would understand what was happening. Gotcha. gotcha. It's black. There's a pause. We hear the sound of wind. And then we see Chris Evans open those beautiful eyes. <laughs> 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 and we hear the sound of a baseball game on the radio. And we see that he's sitting in this very 40s looking kind of hospital room-ish. And this woman who I think is perfectly phonally dressed as a period person. As Peggy. She's essentially a version of Peggy. And it's it's just exactly slightly wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the hairstyle is like a modern version of someone trying to do a 40s hairstyle, not a 40s hairstyle. hmm
3: so that actress, her name is Amanda Rigetti. Um, oh, yeah. She was a regular on The Mentalist, which was a CBS procedural from a few years ago. She was a regular for several years. Um, and I recurred on The Mentalist. So mm. as she and the guy who played, they, they were both like federal agents, but um, the guy who played her boyfriend was an actor named uh, Owen Yeoman, I believe. They were leaving the show right as I got on the show. But there was one episode where our paths kind of crossed. And not only... I think she, yeah, she had already done Captain America at this point, um, but Owen Yeoman was also, because uh, he's a big, like, six foot two, six foot three, like, you know, really square jawed looking superhero guy. Um, he also uh, had had a lot of brushes with being cast in Marvel and DC films and he oh, was wow. actually telling these uh, stories, like there was one that he was offered, he was offered Guardians of the Galaxy a role in it, and he ultimately wasn't able to take it because the schedules conflicted with the mentalist. Wow. Mm. Yeah.
1: Wow. Fuck. I'd be so mad. <laughs> That's brutal. Yeah, it's, it's um, bird in the hand. Bird in the hand. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Good morning. Or should I say afternoon? Where am I? You're in a recovery room in New York City.
0: And he gives her a very suspicious look and says, Where am I really? I like that they don't spend any time with this. You know what I mean? He sees through it immediately. The game. It's from May 1941. I know because I was there. And he stands up. And you see she's got a little panic button that she's hitting. I'm going to ask you again. Where am I? Two guards come in and he knocks them through the walls of what is obviously a set. He runs out into the hall, into what's clearly a modern build building, out into a modern city, and straight into the middle of Times Square.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm. You know, sometimes the circle around cam shot or, or tracking shot is overused. I think this is a great one.
1: And, and he's dressed in the same clothes he was wearing when he first became Captain mm. America after the serum, right? He puts on the white shirt and mm-hmm. runs after the guy. So he's wearing, I think, the khakis and the white shirt as well. And so it it kind of fits perfectly with when we see him running through the streets of New York.
0: And here he is running through the streets of New York again, except it's 70 years later. It's it's a great, I think it's a great moment. Mm. And as he's looking around and seeing all the crazy lights and screens of Times Square, we hear... Hey, soldier! And there is Nick Fury.
2: Mm. Look, I'm sorry about that little show back there, but... We thought it best to break it to you slowly. Break what? You've been asleep, Cap. For almost 70 years.
0: Now, this scene was much longer, and you can watch the deleted scene. They had a whole conversation about stuff. Mm. And it's so much better that they cut it out. <laughs> Agreed. You gonna be okay? Yeah. Yeah, I just... I had a date. Yeah. Ugh. And if you have more in the scene, it takes away from that moment yeah, yeah. you know mm-hmm. um, by the way, I just heard uh, Samuel L Jackson interviewed I think I was on uh, on fresh air mm. and what I didn't realize which maybe you guys you probably knew but I hadn't th- ever thought about he is the is the highest grossing actor in terms of the movies he's been in yeah <laughs> Not the movies he's been the lead in, but the movies that he's been in. Not necessarily how much money he made personally. Right, right. But because he shows up in all these Marvel movies and Star Wars movies and Jurassic (laughs) Park and Pulp Fiction and all these things that made lots and lots of money, (laughs) he is like a lucky charm
3: like in infinity war Endgame, game and then spider-man far from home just those three i mean granted, far from home he did he did quite a bit in yeah. um but those three just in that times sp- that that two-year time span like
0: yeah. right there i mean that's billions of dollars yeah I, I really wonder like hugo weaving coming to be the red skull in infinity war for you know he probably worked a couple of days like well, that I wasn't wonder- him Oh, it's not him. No, no that, oh, that is an actor from The
3: Walking Dead. is, yeah. is it Stephen Marquand? Uh,
1: Marquand, yeah, ri- yeah. Or is it Richard Marquand? I, I think. Uh,
3: oh, Richard Marquand directed of Return of the Jedi. It's Stephen, Stephen something. Marquand, sorry, um, but yeah, he he is an impressionist, and one of the impressions he could do was uh, Hugo Weaving <laughs> as the Red Skull. There you so go. they. He's the one that they. He's the one that they put in
1: the makeup. Yeah, well, Ross
0: Marquand. Ross Marquand. Ross Marquand. You've both ruined my question, but I'm going to stand by it anyway. <laughs> which is that you you come in, you're an actor who's known, and you come in for a day or two. I always wonder, like, well, how much you got to get paid a pretty good check, sure, you know, because they really want Sam Jackson to come back for you know he worked two days on this, maybe, right, maybe, and then we have credits, and of course we have our post credit sequence, and it's Cap in a gym. Punching a heavy bag, punching it faster, knocking it off the chain across the room, and we hear... Trouble sleeping? You're here with a mission, sir? I am. Trying to get me back in the world? Trying to save it. And then, strangely enough, you go into a preview for The Avengers... John, do you remember, was that at the screening that we went to? I don't think it was. I
1: think it okay. was later uh, when we went to see the actual thing, which they do sometimes at Comic-Con when they do screenings, they kind of hold off on certain things. Uh, but yeah, this, is, this was a kind of interesting attempt to get people to understand this, that they are creating essentially a connected universe. Was, this hadn't really been done at this scale in the past. So this was their attempt to kind of make sure people understood what they were doing here. Um, and it's yet another reason why I think it's the first real Marvel Cinematic Universe movie that connects everything.
3: You know? Yeah, I, mean, I had always wondered if if this was always the plan that the Avengers trailer was going to be at was going to be the post credit sequence because mm. that that sequence of of uh, Steve waking up yeah. modern day. I'm like, what a great post credit sequence! Like it literally ends with the kid holding the shield. You do your credits, and then boom! Like you, you know, you have Steve waking up in the modern day. Like I wonder if that was possibly the original plan um, or if they were like, nope, we just want to get, we want to get the first footage of the Avengers out there.
0: Yeah. I am totally with you. I think as a movie, a self-contained movie, the Steve waking up is the post credit sequence is way more dramatic. Mm-hmm. But this is the end of Captain America, the first Avengers. By the way, when they started production, their plan was, we don't want to do a lot of CGI. We don't want to do a lot of, let's make everything practical. It's a period piece. We want to make it all feel real and gritty. They ended up with 1600 effect shots. Wow. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> and of course, it was footage was shown at Comic-Con, which you guys are there for. And then it was released on... July 19th, 2011. And what's so cool, Joe Simon, who created Captain America, who sued to stop the movie in 2000, was there at the age of 98 for the premiere in 2011. Wow. And he died a few months later in December. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I mean, but how beautiful that he got that he he lived long enough to see it. Yeah. Yeah. It outgrossed Thor. It killed X-Men First Class. And killed Green Lantern. Green Lantern <laughs> was destroyed by Captain America the first event. Rightfully so. <laughs> it grossed over $370 million, making it, interestingly enough, the third highest grossing movie from World War II. Wow. I hadn't even thought to put it in that category. I wouldn't have either, but Wikipedia <laughs> gave me this piece of information. I'm curious, What are what is Saving Private Ryan? Saving Private Ryan is one. And you mentioned earlier, both the director and the star of this film, John, someone who you had to be in good shape and maybe do a lot of running. Oh wow. Pearl Harbor is number two. Pearl Harbor is number two. That is
1: fucking heartbreaking. What a crime. (laughs) That movie is a shit show, man. Other than the Pearl Harbor bombing, everything else around it
0: is absolute
1: shit. Oh
0: yeah. It's absolutely terrible movie. Yeah. Um, I will give my final thoughts first, which is I feel like I've I I feel like I've said them, which is act one up to the creation of Captain America. I absolutely adore this movie and the rest of it. I like and I think we've really highlighted the things that could have for me made it a little bit better, but I find it a totally enjoyable movie. And it's certainly I agree with you, John. Mm -hmm. This is what launches the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This is what says no, no. We're creating a universe here and we're going to keep going.
1: Here's what I'll tell you about this. I I absolutely think this film still holds up. And I think as I've, you know, sometimes when you talk about films on the cinephiles, when Steve and I do it, or when Steve and I do it with a guest, um, you can come away with a different point of view about a film a little bit. And I think I have to agree with you guys about the second half of the film. And as much as I have a kind of a nostalgic, hazy feel about this movie that I love it for what it was and what it represented and how close it came to like really showing you the Superman formula still works. Uh, even with our modern audiences because we always yearn to believe in the good uh, um uh i do have issues with the back half with you and i agree with some of the issues you guys have brought out that being said i still love this movie to pieces i think chris evans is absolutely incredible here i love the costume here i love the chemistry between all the actors and uh, the times they get to show themselves i think the red skull is so well done here and it's a shame that Hugo Weaving did not want to come back and ever do it again and still is adamant that he will never come back and do it again, which is such a shame. Um, And also I like the feeling that you get coming out of this movie, which is that this is symbolizing what we aspire to be, what we want to be. And in some ways, which I think is great, the Captain America character for better or worse, as the films go along represents America, both the good and the bad. And I think that's a fascinating thing to explore within the MCU and I appreciate that you've got someone like Chris Evans who even when he's doing certain things that are a bit self-serving you have to qu- you can go along with it and then later question it wonder why you went along with it so this is the movie that lays the foundation that allows you to care for this character and go along on his journey all the way to Endgame and uh, thankfully so so Joe Johnston deserves an incredible amount of credit for what he was able to uh, uh, to direct here uh, with this movie. The Marvel Cinematic Universe, what is, I think it's 28
3: movies now that have been yeah. released. I mean, it is an embarrassment of riches. Like, does everyone hit? Of course not. Um, most of them fall in that pretty good category. Um, you have some that are exceptional, and you have one or two or three that are like, eh, not for me. Captain America, for the first Avenger, is definitely top tier for me on the bottom of the top tier and that is in no way a a uh an insult i mean i think it is such a i think it's such a great movie um it just perfectly captures sort of the the innocence of that time period and as i said at the beginning like if chris evans is not cast as captain america who knows if the marvel cinematic universe turns out the way it did because with you know with robert downey jr and chris evans the, the the yin and the yang of our heroes, um, we got such an incredible journey, especially leading up to Endgame, um, You know, 23, 24 movies. Um, and watching, I think Steve Rogers has the most interesting journey in the Marvel Cinematic Universe because it, it's interesting how he and Tony, it's sort of telegraphed in the Avengers, how uh, to- Steve says to Tony, you're not the one to make the sacrifice play. And ultimately, that is what Tony does. Hmm. And uh, Steve talks about, or uh, Tony basically says to Steve in one of the movies, like uh, he, he he doesn't like he doesn't live. Like I can't remember the, the exact quote, but basically, Steve makes that choice at the end of Endgame to go back and and have his happy ending to go and live with Peggy. And you know, you, you we we hear about all the actors that had read. For Captain America, like John Krasinski has a very funny interview on one of the uh, one of the late night talk shows, I forget which host, but he was he was trying on the cap outfit and at the same time, and he was feeling good. He was in 13 hour shape. Uh, And then Chris Hemsworth walked down the hallway and went, hey, look good, mate. And he's like, yep, I don't want to be Captain America. But But, uh, Chris Evans. You know, I think it was probably a It was definitely a surprise of his casting at the time because he'd been Johnny Storm and the whole idea of an actor playing two heroes. I'm like, ah, that just doesn't make sense. I don't like that. How, how right they were to not just go for him, but to repeatedly go for him because he did say no so many
0: times. So that is what we think of Captain America the First Avengers. And, you know, at the beginning of this year, we laid out this plan that our goal was to do every Marvel movie on the 10 year anniversary of when it came out. But unfortunately that meant we had catching up to do. So this year we have done Iron Man two Thor. We did incredible Hulk and we have now done captain America, the first Avenger, which brings us up to 2012 and the one movie that we can do on its 10th anniversary. And that is the Avengers. And after that we will only be doing a couple of Marvel movies a year and 10 year anniversary when they come out. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah. And uh, if I can say one thing, we are recording this on the anniversary of D-Day. Uh, and I think that's a very important, interesting kind of wow. um, synergy of events to lead us to this moment to record it today. Um, this second part, you know, World War II film and all of that. So, uh, you know, just to kind of honor the sacrifices of the soldiers who laid down their lives on D-Day and, you know, helped us win the war. So just a, uh um, a, a, Commemorative thing and kind of a blessing for us to be recording this on that day, a film that kind of honors that in its own way as well.
0: And you're saying that that anniversary is more important than the 10 year anniversary of a Marvel movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes, I am. (laughs) And I agree. That is, I'm really glad you brought that up. I hadn't thought about it. That's, that is a really great point. And so that's what we think of captain America, the first Avenger, but of course we always want to hear what you think. You can visit us on our Facebook page or on Twitter at Cine underscore files and Instagram at Cine files podcast. You can follow the show on YouTube and subscribe there, leave your comments subscribe on apple podcast leave some reviews there and of course you can follow me at sr morris on twitter sr morris one on instagram and enterprise incidents for all your star trek needs john how would people find you you can always find me at the roca says on twitter instagram and TikTok, the outlaw
1: nation on twitch and my youtube channel youtube.com slash john roca says and my other
0: podcasts, the geek buddies with shannon which shannon is a part of and the top 10 Well speaking of Shannon thank you so much For coming on the show it has been so great I honestly can't imagine Talking about this kind of a movie without you
3: Oh thank you guys this was a lot of
0: fun And uh, Let's say someone wanted to find Shannon McClung (laughs) how would they go About doing that
3: well, you can do it on Twitter at Shannon underscore McClung on Instagram at Shannon, the geek buddy. And you can see some of my writing, writing wares that I'm peddling on Netflix now for uh, strawberry shortcake, Barry in the big city. And as Johnny mentioned, uh, you can see me every week with him on the geek buddies, actually twice a week because we have a regular show. And we also are, have our reviews of uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi on Disney plus
0: right now. Uh, that's been a lot of fun. I, I got to say, the spoiler reviews on Geek Buddies are some of my favorite. Po- I, I listen to them the moment I can. I love them. Oh, thank you.
1: It's very kind.
0: And uh, I think that is it for this week. And we'll be back next time on The Cinephiles for another great film.